At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked on Prime. If you want every episode of Dunked on Prime, My Daily Dunks, Seth Partnow's written analysis, Hollinger and Duncan, extra features like Nate and Danny's award picks written out in text form. You can subscribe to Dunked on Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Greetings. Thanks so much for joining us here on Dunked on Prime. And it's been two months now, basically, since we last did awards. Traditionally, we don't do them at the start of February because there's so much else going on with the trade deadline. So we are back. Of course, we'll have our final awards in a little bit more than a month's time from now. So I think, Danny, we can just jump right into it here with the most valuable player in the NBA. Who is your selection? As a bit of a preamble, I think they're my top tier is two is two players. And I think that both of them, you know, it's I, it's a tier. That means I think they're both deserving of, of the number one honor. And they're they've thankfully played, I believe, significant amount. Yeah, they're significantly similar amounts. So it's not a decision that's based on that. And those two are Shea Gildas Alexander and Nikola Jokic. And Shea Gildas Alexander is having an incredible season. I mean, his so the Thunder have one of the best offenses in the league when he is on the floor. He is, of course, an integral part of that. I believe he has the largest total usage on the team when he's on the floor. And he has been a really productive defender, of course, leading the league in steals and everything else. And so I ended up going with Jokic one and Shea two for a couple of reasons that I don't know how much time we want to spend on it. One is that Jokic has a significantly larger role within Denver's offense. And part of that Wait, is, hold on. is it is it his uh, Shea's total oh, usage is 49. And so sorry, I was not, oh, sorry, I was at the wrong. I was at the wrong line. Yeah, it's, it's a half a percent. That's not that large. But yeah. I think there are some spillovers that you benefit with Jokic, you know, in, in some ways, weirdly, like how they get with um, with Chet Holmgren, where having him credibly space the floor, having him as hub, all of the plays we talked about this on Wednesday night spot about LeBron, the plays that Jokic creates, even if he doesn't get credit for a, for a basket or assist. And there are plenty of those for Shea as well. He's a wonderful driver. He's an aggressive driver. And so I think of even though the the margin is relatively tight between those two in total usage, I think that Jokic is a bigger reason why their offense is what it is. And when you think about the the teammates that he can have in some ways because of that, and that helps their defense and everything else. So I think there is a completely credible argument to have Shea number one. I, w- I have zero opposition to that. I'm still having Jokic one for now. I don't think that there is a clear statistical winner when you're comparing 
these two. Uh, I think you know all the stuff that we look at are quite similar. Shea, 33 traditional usage. That's just a percentage of his team's possessions as scoring attempts or turnovers. True shooting, 65%. Jokic, 29.5. True shooting, 65%. Seth Partnow's total usage, which uh, includes playmaking usage, which is, uh, of course, the number of passes that you make that lead directly to a shot, whether it goes in or not. Almost entirely the same. Jokic makes up for his slight deficit in scoring usage by more playmaking usage Shea is significantly lower on turnovers and that's one of the crazy things about Shea Gilles Alexander that his turnover usage is only 2.7 percent given the number of drives that he has he basically has the lowest turnover usage of any of these guys that are really in consideration for all NBA uh, who have you know do a significant amount of scoring and passing in their team's offense Estimated plus minus like Shea better. Nikola Jokic is higher on offense, but Shea is plus 2.6 on defense. Jokic is actually negative 1.2. I think that is too harsh on Nikola Jokic, but I would consider Shea Gilgis-Alexander the more valuable defender when you consider the replacement level of their position. But I do think that Nikola Jokic has gotten a lot better defensively. He talked about that recently, that particularly on defense, he's just has a much greater understanding uh, than he did before. And he's still not a great traditional rim protector, but he does take up space in there. He's got the fat guy defense. He'll strip guys. like Denver's rim defense has gotten much better. Some of that's him. Some of it is that you've got more Peyton Watson types uh, than they've had before. Uh, you know, estimated Raptor, which Neil Payne put together, RIP, regular Raptor, pretty much similar. Again, like Shea, a little bit better defensively, 9.7 for Shea, 8.9 for Jokic. Team offensive rating when they're on the floor. Shea Gillis Alexander, 121.8. Nikola Jokic, 122.2. And we don't look at the off as much. The Nuggets are atrocious when Jokic is off the floor. Again, they're 18 points for 100 better when than when he is off the floor. And then Shea, still a very good number, 10.4 better. And I would say Shea probably has more offensive talent around him, or at least more offensive talent and spacing around him than Jokic. Probably a little bit better of a system. Defense, neither affects the, their team's defense too much, but b- both of them have solid defenses around the floor. Team net rating when they're on the floor, Shea 11.6, Jokic 10.1. That's a little bit below where he was last year, which was 13.3, which was by far the best of any of these candidates. This year, you actually have a lot of these candidates who are into double digits, which is a difference from what it was a season ago. So uh, would you agree with my assessment, Danny, that there just isn't really much way to parse between these guys on a pure statistical basis? Yes, I would. And it, it's hard in some ways because they play such different positions. So it's not even there, there are no real apples to apples here. And they're, they, their overall role within the offense is similar, but how they do it is very different. But in terms of overall impact, yeah, I think it's I think it's completely fair to say they're comparable. That's why they're in the same tier for me. Yeah. And I would put them in the same tier as well. Two reasons I ultimately went with Nikola Jokic as my pick, as did you. One, I would say that I think Shea's job is a little bit easier. Jokic plays with a lot of very bench-heavy units. The Nuggets are not a good three-point shooting team. They don't really space the floor that well. I would say that Jokic has Jamal Murray, who's probably a little more talented offensive player than anyone else that Shea plays with. But Shea is playing with basically five-out spacing all the time, unless you want to say Josh Giddy is not five-out, uh, and you can put your center on him. But having that stretch five 
mean, that is just such a cheat code offensively. And Jay has certainly been effective at times, but in the Dignall, with less shooting, but in the Dignall era, they've largely kind of gone five out. Their transition game is incredible. Like, I think that Shea's job is a little bit easier given the personnel. Well, and him. and one of the other differences I brought up how Jokic kind of makes a lot of the Nuggets thing work is that Shea is a wonderful player. He's number two in MVP for a reason. But if they didn't have Chet Holmgren, who is an anomalous player, then a lot of this stuff would would, would be worse. And he he isn't the anomaly in some ways that that Chet is. And so Jokic being like and Shea has his own unusual strengths, but Jokic being the player who also makes that component of it work. The reason that, you know, Denver doesn't originally play five out. They succeed in a different way. But that's something there. One thing I will give Shea credit for, and this is I hadn't done the digging on this until it was through that 15 and 60 that. Gildas Alexander does spend a lot of time on the floor when Chet Holmgren is off and their offense is fantastic during that stretch too. So that's, that's a, that's yeah. a feather. But they also cap. play with Kendrick Williams. It's not, they have another stretch. Yeah, exactly. Guy. They play small. They don't really play another traditional big Jalen Williams, maybe a little bit. And their rotation uh, is so the, good that it's not like they're playing, you know, they're playing some of the guys that Denver has on the floor, the equivalent of what Denver has on the floor when Jokic is off, let's say. Yeah. So your argument for Shea is basically he never turns it over and just more valuable defender at his position uh you know relative to the rest of his position right like you might say Jokic all right if you're got Shea Gilles Alexander and Nikola Jokic at the basket when you're trying to drive Nikola Jokic is probably has a better chance of stopping that guy but when you're talking about Shea versus another point guard ball handling guard and Jokic versus another center you know the difference is in he goes when you play Shea you can also play a Chet Holmgren and you, you're probably not going to do that with Jokic although I'm sure Jokic could make that work uh but ultimately, my second tiebreaker that I think is more meaningful to me, and I do consider this very close to a tie as far as their performance this season, is just I think Nikola Jokic is better. He's proven more. Uh, he's been at this level for a very long time. We've seen him completely dominate in the playoffs. And I don't go to just who I think is the better guy by default. But if it's this close, that is where I end up. And so I'm just more comfortable with how unbelievably awesome Nikola Jokic is. You know, He will probably be my pick for the number one player in the NBA. I don't know that Shea is even necessarily going to be number two when we do that. So that's ultimately the tiebreaker for me. Shea is number two. Uh, anything else to add there? Or should we move down the table? We can move down the table. And my next tier is also two guys. And um, in part, that is due to some of the injuries and absences and stuff. Like, obviously, Joel Embiid would be firmly in this conversation. Had he done uh, Anyway, we, we, we already we acknowledge that. Yeah, me, he has already least. missed so many games that he is no longer eligible. And also, I, I mean, it'll be interesting. We'll say put a pin in whether he would actually still make one of our All NBA teams as of now. But oh. surely, <laughs> having having only played thirty four games and you know Shea has played well, 57, I'll, I'll fifty seven. I'll go even yeah. stronger. I had it just as a question, not as something. I'm like, if Joel Embiid were still eligible, would I have picked him fifth for MVP? Hmm. And the answer is maybe. I don't know. But so the next two guys, again, their overall profiles, I think, are somewhat their overall impact is somewhat similar, though they do it in very different ways. And that's Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think that there are times where I mean, we've talked about how Giannis is having one of the most efficient seasons of his career, in part because he's just not shooting threes anymore, which kudos like that. That is a good thing for him. And while this isn't Antetokounmpo's best defensive season, he is obviously a significantly better defender than Luka Doncic is and 
not only in the obvious sense of like he's he's better, but in the way that like you don't have to get you game plan for him as a defensive player. Like he makes Doc Rivers life easier and Luca makes Jason Kidd's life harder on the defensive end. But it is worth taking a beat to appreciate not only how large Luka Doncic's role is within his offense, but how great the Dallas offense is overall. It's very good. I, it, it, I mean, we have Giannis's Bucks uh, with a better on-court offensive rating than Luka's Mavs. True. I mean, it's 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 amazing, and I do think obviously, uh, I don't know, the 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 Mavs don't have anyone as good as Malik Beasley. Uh, obviously, Lurid has has fallen off some, but he's a a huge threat. Even someone like Chris Middleton, who's been in and out of the lineup, is probably you know better than the Mavs' third best offensive player by quite a bit. Kyrie has missed half the season, so there is a massive drop off. You might say, all right, well, Luca is worse talent around him, so you know the Mavs are nine point four points per hundred better offensively with Luca on the floor well the bucks are actually have a greater difference when Giannis is on the floor 10.5 and about a point better in terms of the raw offensive rating when he's on the floor uh I think yeah what it really comes I I would be of the belief that Luka Doncic is the better offensive player than Giannis Antetokounmpo I think just because of his passing ability and the way he controls everything uh his totally Giannis's total usage is quite high 49 percent but Luka's is the highest of anyone we're considering for All-NBA by five percentage points and that's even with uh his scoring usage down by quite a bit but it also his playmaking usage is second among anyone we're seriously considering uh, behind Tyrese Halbert uh in Seth's stats and so but both of these guys have very good resumes Giannis obviously is much better defensively I still I've said that I don't really feel him as much on every possession uh, he's not you know going to be featuring the defensive play of the year conversation the way he has in the past although I think he's maybe under Doc Rivers that can change a little bit but Luca while he's made some strides is still a pretty active negative defensively as a power forward which is the position that he defends and so yeah you know he's like there's some stats by like oh he's like pretty good defending isolations or something i i the reason for that is that the Mavs only let him get stuck in an isolation in a matchup that he can handle because they're just going to double team if if he mm-hmm. can't handle the right. matchup and it won't count as an isolation. Uh, so I like Lucas. He's and he can defend in the post. He's okay, but he's just doesn't protect the rim at all. He's a, a solid rebounder, but you know, again, he's a power forward, right? Like that's not he's not like some amazing rebounder for his defensive position, and that's who he has to guard. And so he just he causes some problems for your defense when he's the low man or when he has to track a shooter and obviously there's the getting back on defense portion so i do consider this one a virtual heat as well i did go with Giannis in the end for my number three position with luca uh being number four but i i you know certainly understand the argument for Doncic, and that's uh, there's not really I, I don't have a great argument i feel for why Giannis is three that's just how it felt to me i ended up with the same place but one other thing i want to say in favor of luca is that sort of like Jokic, his brilliance a allows the Mavericks to play more limited players and have them, first of all, have them be efficient and have the overall offense be efficient. And I think that's really important. So you can have, I mean, some would say Grant Williams, but I'm thinking more of the Derek Jones Jr. and to an extent Dante Exum type of players. Like you can have them in your rotation and that helps make their defense better. Like Luca, Luca is not a good defender in any way, but having him there and you, you could argue the same. This Bucks team has significantly worse perimeter defensive talent than many of theirs have in the past and they're still you know they're they're still a, a 112 they, defensive they might have the worst uh, until they got 
Patrick Beverly, they might have had the worst <laughs> perimeter defensive talent in the whole league. Entirely possible. And so for them to and, and they're also, you know, that overall defensive sample includes a lot of time relative with Griffin, who was concocting schemes that didn't necessarily maximize his players. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to hold the season long numbers against Giannis, even though the Bucks are below their usual standard. They have they have a worse coach. They have a different coach, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, I had Giannis. I had Giannis three, Luca four. I could, you know, again, they're in the same tier. Yeah, by the so way, I, a couple other things on them. EPM, Giannis, 7.4, Luca, 7.5, uh, and then estimated Raptor, very similar as well. Luca, 6.4, Giannis, 7.4. Bucks net rating with Giannis on the floor, plus 7.5. Luca, point plus 3.3 net rating when he's on the floor for the Mavs. That's a, a feather in Giannis's cap. Again, it's kind of, do we need to get into, like, how is Dallas's talent versus the Bucks? And, uh, I, you know, they do Lillard versus is Kyrie and like how much of those guys been available and then how much what about the other talent just I think ultimately I have to go in the direction of Giannis and then number five is gonna be interesting who'd you have there it ends up being kind of an uninspiring crop relative because there are some guys who are like Joel Embiid who are really good but haven't played quite enough and then there are other guys who you know just haven't just you know like they aren't they don't necessarily have that kind of a resume and I ended up being persuaded by a player who is actually pretty high in what's called estimated wins. So basically what that is, is EPM's version of, you know, you take their all in one metric and then you combine it with minutes played. Somebody who's actually high on these technically even with Joel Embiid. And that's Jalen Brunson and Brunson. Holy shit. OK, the, so Jalen Brunson's role within the offense. So we're, we're getting into, you know, that kind of thing. Like he's it's less than the highest guy, but it's not that much. And the Knicks have one of the best offenses on the league in the league when he's on the floor and and have a significantly worse one when he is off. And in his case, I don't think that's quite the same, especially because remember, Emmanuel quickly was on the Knicks for a lot of this year. And so he, they, they had a capable, you know, second unit point guard for most of the year. They did have a flawed stretch with that and then they got Bogdanovich and Burks one of the other things in favor of Brunson other than a little recent jack he's played a lot and that is something that matters for most valuable players something I do not consider as much for all NBA and I will mention right now Jalen Brunson is not on my first team all NBA um because I I still the longtime listeners will know my process there and Brunson's not a great defensive player. And I mean, he's but he's a part of a generally he's been a part of a reasonably successful defense. I will note that the Knicks defense has been significantly better when he's been off the floor. But I I haven't done all the digging on it, but I don't think that's like because Jalen Brunson is bad. It's just the nature of how these things work. The Knicks generally have a really good second unit defense. So. There are a lot of players worthy of consideration. I will talk about a lot of them at length in the second team All-NBA. But he has a large role in a successful offense and has played a ton. And so, for example, like Kawhi Leonard has had a very good year. Kawhi Leonard is, you know, he'll he'll be second team NBA. Jalen Brunson has played more than 200 more minutes than him. That is, you know, more than a couple of extra games. And my thought is the dealt the difference that he has made is close. You know, like and a few of these other guys that I'll talk about in second team. And he's played more than them. So if we're, you know, if you want to talk about estimated wins, like he's obviously lower in wins above replacement, which is the Raptor version of the same stat. I I just I was slightly persuaded. There are a lot of other guys, and I'll talk about who, who I have first team All NBA over him later on. But 
I, I thought his resume, you know, there's this group of next guys is probably like three or four dudes long, but I thought that he was, I thought that he had the best overall impact. Yeah. I think to me, Brunson's argument, I, and I had Jalen Brunson on my third team all NBA. Um, so not any, anywhere close to even in consideration for me, honestly. I mean, to me, his argument comes down to having played a lot of minutes and the Knicks have a 121 offensive rating when he's on the floor. Uh, he's not a, despite the fact that he competes and take charges, takes charges. Like he's still, I would consider him to be a defensive negative. He's someone who's going to get attacked defensively. Teams regularly do that. Uh, and to me, Kawhi Leonard, I and mean, he, the Clippers defense is so much better when he's on the floor. They have just, I mean, they're basically like the worst uh maybe the second or third best defense when he's on the floor and one of the worst when he's off the floor uh 8.9 points per 100 defensively and there's not a crap ton of shooting luck in that number and then they're also and consider that he's had james harden and paul george on his team they've been doing some scattering they're still significantly better offensively when he plays as well plus 8.9 net rating when he's on negative 3.5 when he's off uh, that plus 12.4 differential is I would say, let's see, of the people that we're seriously considering for all NBA, that's probably fourth. Paul George, interestingly, is actually plus 16. Uh, however, uh, I think you know Kawhi is, is the main guy there, and I think he's just been having his best defensive season, I would say, as a Clipper right now. That makes a difference, and I think there's still a pretty good argument that Kawhi is as good or better of an offensive player than Brunson. Brunson, not terribly efficient with 59% true shooting, and I just don't think he's like that amazing of a passer you know that's that's one of the things that really kind of sticks out to me and the Knicks offense is still like he is I still think of Brunson as kind of a floor raiser he's been very efficient from three but the Knicks offense has built a lot on the possession game as well so I I ultimately I Kawhi was the guy for me I didn't have it as all that close um and well, so I, I and, and I also out, just I think Kawhi is way thing. better than Brunson or frankly uh anybody else that was much that was in consideration for me other than maybe Kevin Durant one of the one of the things you brought up that the shooting there isn't a big disparity which is correct with Kawhi on and off the floor there is another element I looked into this very briefly I'm not going to talk about it at length because I don't have the sufficient knowledge is Zubats so like when Kawhi and Zubats are on the floor the Clippers defense is incredible they're they're in the they're above 90th percentile I think they're like 92nd or 93rd percentile and then when Kawhi plays without Zubats, the Clippers' defense is fine. You know, it's 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 above average, but it's not particularly yeah. great. Worth and, noting a lot of a lot of that is going to be with no center at all. But, exactly, but but uh, what and, and but then you think about you know generally speaking, Tyloo's rotations are the minutes that most of the minutes that Zubats plays are going to be with Kawhi Leonard, which means that the sample isn't representative necessarily in that sense that you would say normally, where the player one of the, the player who for me is most important for the Clippers defense in part because of his replacements just happens to play more of his minutes a higher proportion with Kawhi than not with Kawhi and so I think at you know like I would need to do like if this is an MVP thing at the end of the year I will do probably an hour's worth of work on this on whether whether I think that that is significant but my my read on it is that I think at times Kawhi is getting too much credit for something that is partially him but is also the the combination of Zubats being really good and his replacements being horrendous 
defensively. And so that makes that makes this a little bit different. And apportioning credit and blame in these circumstances can be really complicated. Actually, there are centers who benefit from this and 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 don't. I wanted to mention that. I mean, Kawhi is I have Kawhi above Jalen Brunson on my all NBA teams. He's not actually the guy I have first team, but he is above Jalen Brunson as well. And for but for me, the margin between those two guys, especially when you consider the role within their respective offenses. Like I, I think Jalen Brunson has to do more there. And I think that he has done a very good job. Um, I think that his surrounding talent offensively is, signif- is significantly worse than the Clippers overall, even if this Clippers team isn't what the Clippers were, you know, the year that they're the best shooting team in the NBA. Yeah. Last thing on this, I, Brunson has played a bunch of minutes. I, I tend to look a little bit more towards games played uh, than minutes and Kawhi 51 games, Brunson 55. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us 
So yeah, who was then your was your first four on All NBA? Your first four on MVP? Absolutely, and so and who's so, the so then? Tyrese Halliburton and Halliburton. It's the it's the more persuasive version of the Jalen Brunson argument. It's that he you know he is that guy offensively in terms of his role and the success. OKC, sorry, no OKC, Indiana. A ridiculous 124.1 offensive rating when Tyrese Halliburton's on the floor. He has a gigantic role. He is the he is the system to use James Harden's parlance, and that you know falls off meaningfully though. Amazingly, the Pacers' offense with with Halliburton off isn't bad. It's just that it's significantly worse than the rarefied air they're already in, and. Halliburton isn't a great defensive player, but he's also like in a game to game regular season thing. And this is, again, a difference between best players in the league and best players in the regular season. Like it doesn't generally matter that much. And we saw him do well in the in-season tournament when really, really when that was more of a postseason mentality from the Celtics and a few other teams. So for me, that's more of a traditional argument. In some ways, the Halliburton argument is most similar to Luka Doncic, but where in terms of MVP, where Halliburton kind of falls behind is because he's played significantly fewer minutes. He's only played 46 games. Luca's played 50, and Luca plays more minutes per game, which does matter to me. Not necessarily for all NBA, but does matter for that. So I, I I didn't have to necessarily make a choice between those two for all NBA, but Halliburton to me has been meaningfully better when he's played, even with the hamstring issue and everything else, than Jalen Brunson. So Halliburton's first team, Jalen Brunson's second team. Halliburton would probably have been sick on my MVP ballot. He was sixth on mine as well. And then Kawhi would have been seventh. Yeah, if if I were going there, but he's played the 46 games, but a few of those were on this somewhat farcical minutes limit that he was on. So only 1,400 minutes, which is basically by far the lowest Mm -hmm. of any of these candidates uh, here that I was seriously considering for all NBA. I I mean, Kyrie Irving has played basically 200 minutes fewer than than Darius Halliburton at this point. And Kyrie is like already ineligible for all the awards. So and Tyrese is very close to being technically ineligible, but I'm not gonna kick him off yet. But I think if he if he were playing at the level he was playing at before the hamstring injury, then yeah, he would have been easily in my top five. But I think he since he's come back from that, he just hasn't quite been the same. There have been times when he's kind of disappeared a little bit more, which he can do because he is such a great shooter off the ball that like you still have to really guard him out there. But he's kind of allowed other guys. He's playing more with TJ McConnell now. They got Siakam. So since since he came back from the hamstring, the trade, he just hasn't been at quite the same level. I desperately hope he gets back to where he was in the first 30 games or so this season because that was just one of the best things we've seen. And, and he's uh, still, uh, he still is the highest on-court offensive rating of any of these guys that we're talking about here. I mean, basically anyone in the whole league, I believe. And on a team that I don't think has, you know, like such amazing offensive talent around him, certainly not before uh, they brought in Siakam. Jason Tatum has started to shoot the ball a little bit more efficiently. He's just rocks out. I've joked that he's going to be fifth at MVP for every single year for the next five years. He's gotten his true shooting up to 60% and playmaking usage is 
a little bit lower. Uh, Three-point percentage was down in the low 30s, up to 36% now. So he's come on and a very solid rebounder for his position. Playmaking usage is below some of these offensive engines. I think of all these players we're talking about, he clearly is the worst offensive player that we have brought up, but he does space the floor. He defends a ton of other positions. Uh, He's absolutely bulletproof from a minutes and an injury standpoint, it seems like just about every year. Celtics defense is awesome when he plays. I mean, he's just absolutely rock solid. And I'm not going to say that I felt more strongly about him than Kevin Durant or Devin Booker, who were my next two guys before I kind of struggled with who to have the last spot on second team. But I think, you know, to me, Jason Tatum has just a bulletproof resume to be second team all NBA. It's just hard to get him much higher than that. I wholeheartedly agree. I have Jason Tatum on my second team and he's pretty comfortably there. And so you you brought up Booker and Durant and they're, of course, like they're, they're kind of elements of this conversation. I don't want to say rigidly tiers, but like you just, with it being so positionless, you actually, I just ended up thinking about all NBA very differently now because mm-hmm. you kind of have to. And so the one guy who was kind of in that same group, I ended up putting him below the other two. You talked about kind of your your fifth guy because you have J- Jalen Brunson on the third team who I have on the second team. And he's strengthened his resume during the time since our last awards because I, I believe I didn't have him on an NBA team, period, then, which is Stephen Curry. And the Warriors have improved. You know, they, they've won a bunch of games since then. They were able to get a little bit healthier. Uh, depending on which of the all-in-ones, and none of them are gospel that you, that you prefer, like Curry is one of the better players remaining. I think he's at the absolute best player we haven't mentioned yet in offensive EPM. He's a little bit lower than that in Raptor. I think Raptor is being unfair to Curry personally. Part of that is, you know, that the, the Warriors offense hasn't been quite as good. But I'm I'm giving Curry adjustments. So I do have him last of this group. So that means he's the head of the table at third team all NBA for me. Because I'm giving them a little bit of context where in part of this might be a little bit of we could call it geographic bias where I've seen how terrible Andrew Wiggins has been this year. I've seen how terrible Clay Thompson was for stretches of this year. Obviously, Draymond Green has missed extended periods due to suspensions, though his play when he's been on the floor has actually been pretty good. And some of the lack of suitability of replacements and all that type of stuff. And so maybe it is like that I appreciate Curry's lift more then like there's some guys who are, you know, in, sec- in third team consideration, like Anthony Edwards and, and some of those guys who, you know, their overall offense is actually pretty similar to the Warriors. But I I think that he's had a harder job to do than some appreciate. And also the Warriors system sometimes de- makes his overall impact a little bit stronger than the like usage rate and all that stuff because of the way they do ball movement. But like he his presence is generating the looks and other guys because that's just not the way their offense functions because Kerr, Kerr prioritizes something different. Yeah, he, he's been playing without certainly another top 50, I would say, offensive player in the league this season. And yeah, he was very much at the bottom of third team consideration last time. I ultimately went with him as my kind of 10th guy. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about KD and Booker too. But I think for for Curry, uh, after uh, the tragedy in Utah, he had some time off. Maybe that helped him physically, but he had actually one of the hottest stretches of his career. And that's that's part of what got him back into this. And I think his defense has gotten a little bit better during the stretch, but he basically carried the Warriors back into contention after they were 19 to 24. And it looked like it was just going to completely spiral. And I think I just, I still believe in what his offense is, even though I don't think there's an argument for him to be in the top five. 
five in the NBA anymore. I think it's just a little bit harder for him to get his shots off. It's a, he's a little bit less consistent. The gravity aspect is just a little bit less intimidating than it's been. His drive game has fallen off uh, since two years ago when it was just absolutely devastating. Like now he's re- more reliant on the three point than ever, but still 63% true shooting, pretty darn good. 41% for three, 13 attempts for 36 minutes from downtown and while he has a lower total usage than some of these guys they still basically run most of their stuff oh and and by the way 13 three-pointers per 36 no other player that i think is in all nba consideration is over 10 luca's at 10 uh, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about Booker and Durant briefly. I think Durant has had a big lift defensively mm-hmm. on this team, and they are technically better when he's off the floor. But, like, them being respectable defensively, I probably give him the biggest share of the credit for that. Uh, they're 10 points for 100 better when he's on the floor versus off. Like, the Durant and Booker minutes still kill. He's had to do a lot of stuff where he's not. KD is your only guy i don't know that that was you know maybe that worked in 2014 when he was at the absolute height of his powers but so he still kind of needs someone to set him up a little bit more but he's has gotten better as a passer and kept this sun's team afloat to still being well over 500 without bradley beal being as thin as they are at 64 percent true shooting three-point percentage has come down by quite a bit of late but he's just a, a rock solid second team all nba forward doesn't have a ton of weaknesses in his game other than maybe just some turnovers and every once in a while a little bit of effort you know some of their fourth quarter struggles do fall on him that like, that is an indication that he does but a lot of in a lot of those fourth quarters they just haven't had any <laughs> cards available or maybe maybe they've had one uh and then booker you just look at that number again as as it's been for some time now where they just dominate offensively when he's on the floor his playmaking is uh, at an all-time high this year he basically has been their point guard i think he's having his most efficient season as well if memory serves with 61 percent true shooting and also one of his biggest scoring usage seasons is also well, yeah, and a few to, threes to, than he was yeah to add in one more thing the potency offensively of the booker only minutes so no beal no kd have been fantastic and so for me the argument that booker has been better offensively than durant and if you look at the efficiency of their individual scoring like they're you know durant is better there but as a distributor as you know like an, uh, as an overall kind of like offense player i think booker has that but kevin durant both has a harder job defensively and does it better and so yeah I, I, it's so bizarre to have them as comparable player like you because they 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 have big shoes to fill and they sh- they both fill them very well albeit not at first team all nba levels and so yeah i i have them both firmly on the second team as well so who else was in consideration for that that 10th spot that steph curry spot for you well so i i mean i have brunson in that spot so okay. it, it, to, to me it's those two guys and then after that like i mean i'll i will say this outright like joel Embiid. if if it were my eligibility rules joel Embiid and kyrie Irving both not only would have they would have been on my lmb teams they'd be taking two of the remaining spots that actually would have been kyrie above. irving wow that seems yeah. He's, I mean, the Kyrie Irving on Luka off minutes have been an extremely important part of Dallas's success this year. And, you know, what Kyrie can do offensively as a secondary playmaker in the minutes with Luka, I think that's a part of how they can play these other defensive guys. And I mean, a float seems like at times overstating it. But I mean, Kyrie, 
like the offensive the offensive numbers on him are like as I mean forty one percent total total usage. He's been efficient individually, and the Mavericks offense, even in the minutes like you say, oh well, he plays with Luca. Well, when Kyrie's been on the floor and Luca's been off, they've still been great offensively. Yeah, to answer my own question from earlier of whether I would have Joel on it, certainly if we were under the old system where you had to pick a center, he would be on it for me. I mean, I think it would be because I only have one other center besides Jokic, and that's going to be Anthony Davis. So I probably would even have Joel above Anthony Davis. You might, oh, he's played 34 games. That's that's ridiculous. But, I mean, you just consider what their record was in those games and then what the record has been without him and that he also is maybe having, like, the best per-minute statistical season in NBA history and a number of levels. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he probably would have still made my team. Wouldn't have been an MVP consideration for me because just there are too many other great candidates mm-hmm. at, at this point that I think you would just rather have if you want to win more games. Uh, um, just, yeah. yeah, just shortly on mine, my rule is that if you've played half your team's games, maybe half plus one, you are under consideration. Then I basically have everyone largely equal, you know, it's best player outside of that. So Joel Embiid would have been on my first team, but alas. Yeah, I, I, I still think, I think playing time to me has to has to enter into it more but we've had this conversation many a time uh so but of course the joel is not eligible Kyrie is not eligible i was deciding between stephen curry lebron james and anthony davis for my final second team spot ended up going with curry i don't really have a great argument for why that is i mean all of their teams have kind of disappointed a little bit i do think that ad's offensive decline has kind of accelerated some and Mm -hmm. you know there are just a lot of circumstances where he's just not doing anything offensively other than setting a screen he remains a a great rule guy he can get some offensive rebounds um defensively the numbers have fallen for him part of that is because of their perimeter talent hasn't been as good but he hasn't really been able to lift up this defense kind of on his own or he and lebron together Together, since they've gone to more of these all offense groups the last month month and a half or so davis's defensive numbers we'll talk about a defensive player of the year are getting murdered by just really bad luck on opponent three-pointers when he's on the floor but i i don't i don't have davis in my top three for defensive player of the year which matters for this so again we'll talk more about that at that time and i i think you know offensively he has no jump shot anymore he's tried to expand it and he also just doesn't really they don't run much offense room anymore the fact that he's able to generate you know 27 percent usage just out of being more of a role man and offensive rebounder and kind of opportunistic catch it on catch it and take a couple of dribbles guy in large part uh is commendable but that's also he's kind of just like a turbocharged version of your efficient role man which is is bad but he's also not that efficient either because he still does take some jumpers and he just never makes them you know 62 percent mm-hmm. shooting that's basically just average for a center so he's on my all nba team but i ultimately uh, didn't pick him there and then lebron you know we compiled these stats before he went crazy last night in that game that we talked about uh, against the clippers uh, of who's the better player right now between lebron james and stephen curry is a pretty fascinating question they've played similar game uh, similar number of games similar number of minutes i do think lebron's 40 percent three-point shooting which is what a lot of his efficiency is built on these days is not that sustainable and so i, I think i probably would rather have curry but it's it's very close so lebron and davis 
Davis both made my third team. So did Brunson. We talked about him pretty extensively. That left for me two spots, and Anthony Edwards definitely had one of them. Yeah, so I, I, I will say LeBron and AD both made my third team as well. I was I was a little shakier on having Davis on at all, um, but I did yeah. he did make but he did make my third team. Just a lot of the points that you that you just made there, and well, yeah, we get into we because it's positionless, like it it kind of gets open around here. We're just like, okay, well, who's who's having a best of the rest yeah. season? Well, well, should we just should we just uh, make what's the universe of guys you thought were close enough to really get into it? So you brought up Anthony Edwards, he is of course within this universe too. Um, I want to give a shout out to Rudy Gobert because defensive players and, and I brought this up years ago when I argued Gobert for an MVP spot. Um, they get underappreciated sometimes in this, but he is so limited offensively. But I mean, he's his name will come up very soon in the near future. But like the most valuable defensive player in the year, even if he has a limited offensive role, like I think he deserves some consideration here. Um Kristaps Porzingis and Porzingis is another player who I give a little bit of a bump to because I appreciate that his specific skills help make things easier on his team. Like, you know, like the him versus a replacement big, like that works very differently. And so I, I do give him yeah, a little bit. It, of a He bump was for just that. too low on the games and minutes for, for me. He doesn't even average 30 minutes a game. That, that even maybe he was more of it than, and he's left a couple of games early that affects that, but that maybe is even more, more of it than the total number of minutes and the 43 games played. So I'll tell you, Porzingis made my team because I care less about yeah. that than you do. Um, and then, so Donovan Mitchell, I think, you know, again, Donovan Mitchell, his case has strengthened significantly since the last time we did awards because of that stretch where Garland and Allen, sorry, Garland and Mobley were both out. And so it was Mitchell and Allen. And they, you know, they ended up having one of their best stretches of the season. Cavs offense significantly better, about six points per 100 when he's on the floor still a very limited defensive player so for me actually yeah, but although he, he has gotten a lot better like i i don't consider him a liability if he's playing point guard agreed and and that and that does matter but i ended up giving that last slot um to because i said porzingis got one i ended up giving that slot to anthony edwards as well yeah and edwards much as minnesota's offense has not been particularly impressive they're 117.6 when he's on and 105.9 when he's off so they're almost 12 points 100 better offensively when he's on the floor and defensively it's a, about the same either way he certainly is someone who given his defensive his offensive role is one of the better defenders and he's not going to get attacked he can ramp it up and actually really guard you know one through four he guarded jaron jackson jr in a, a game recently where he was kind of tearing up the wolves and anthony Edwards was like all right i got him in the last five minutes of the game so that having that in your back pocket like he's talking about making all defense that's ridiculous because they're just way better guys and also it's positionless now but certainly he's a, a quality option there and just for to have that type of role and not get attacked i think his passing is a little underrated when we talked about that in the 50 and 60 comparing him to some of the historical shooting guards yes it's a more heliocentric era now but that was pretty impressive i, I think you know the one thing that's maybe not as much a feather in his cap he has the lowest true shooting of anyone that we've been talking about here 58.6 percent, basically right at league average turns it over a lot but he's got a pretty heavy lift playing with the center all the time playing with kyle anderson Jaden mcdaniels below average shooting three so he's definitely does not have a lot of space to work with and in terms of like the estimated plus minus he's right in this range as well and i do give at least a little bit of credit 
credit to the fact that his team is the has been the best team in the West all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't find that particularly dispositive, but you know, I would I would at least question like how do you not have any Timberwolf on any of your All NBA teams because they're they have a a deep team in, in terms of talent, but like it's not so deep that you're like it's, you don't look at these guys like, oh this is like unbelievable amount of talent to where you would think that their best player is you know not worthy of being one of the 15 best performances in the league this year uh and then yeah i think the the two the three apologies guys for me mitchell was my last guy um were paul george who has actually a much better statistical resume other than his true shooting than you might think in terms of some of the the on-off data is really really favorable to him uh and then gobert and still damian lillard he's dropped off he had like his worst three-point shooting month that he's think basically he's ever had in january like under 30 percent so statistically didn't quite have the argument any longer but still was someone who i thought needed to be mentioned um any reaction any of those guys no, I'm pretty much on board with it. I mean, George's resume is is maybe better than some think, but I didn't have him, you know, on an All NBA team. I had him in the also considered. Yeah, I mean, just uh, for Paul George, one twenty two offensive rating for the Clippers when he's on, one eleven off. Also, way better defensively when he's on. So they're actually he is the second best on off differential again on a team that's not like they're devoid of other stars. They're fifteen point six points one hundred better when he's on the floor versus off, and that's. Uh, Nikola Jokic is the only player who's better in that number that we should just call that the Jokic stat at this point <laughs> we don't even need to say uh on off differential anymore that's just the Jokic and yeah and then Gobert uh, of course just their defense is so ridiculous when he's out there even if he is definitely I would say a negative offensive player at this point he to me is the guy who's driving that more than anything I, I'm so we'll talk more about him in defensive player of the year I thought it was a crime that he wasn't on the all-star team De'Aaron Fox made my team last year as may have been predicted his three-point shooting has really fallen off and now below league average in true shooting the Kings just are not the offensive juggernaut that they were you know that also impacts DeMontis Sabonis's candidacy we kind of talked about how the Kings defensive improvement has been in spite of him uh Tyrese Maxey again just his inability to carry the Sixers without Joel Embiid admittedly they've had other injuries as well but it's just you know his statistical record has fallen off in terms of his efficiency uh Carl Anthony Towns also just like you know a scoring four man who he's been not a disaster defensively the, the way he was before he's been able of course to contribute on the league's number one defense which helps but of course he can't play center either I wouldn't consider him a quality option at the four and he's a very good offensive player but still not just doesn't have the the resume in terms of the impact stats either most of these guys don't Jimmy Butler maybe if, if he had played more and was playing the way he's been playing recently uh, but just again th- only 39 games 1300 minutes and uh you know not that big of a role in the team's offense that's about it anyone else you wanted to mention Larry Markkinen Markkinen was the, the one I was going to mention yeah kind of kind of falling apart a little bit he's also been struggling some lately um just I mean know, it, 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 it is concerning as much as he has as a strength so Markkinen's at 59 percent true shooting now for for the year I believe so look at the uh, wrong no, that, that no, that's 62.5. Sorry, I was looking at Chris yeah. Middleton. That's what happens when you have an Excel sheet and I hadn't singled out the line. Apologies. But no, I had Mark and he was he's in my like I, I had like seven also considered and he's like fifth of the seven. We've talked about everybody ahead of him. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. 
So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, I'll leave it up to you on where to head next. Well, considering we just talked about him a little bit, um, we can get to Defensive Player of the Year. And um, I do think that Rudy Gobert is well ahead of the rest of the field. And, I mean, to consider that he is not only the most important player on on the league's best defense, but, I mean, you could look at a lot of different things in terms of how poorly opponents shoot on the plays he contests. They're 51.8% on the year. He doesn't contest quite as many shots as the Chet Holmgrens of the world, but he but, still does but, yeah, a lot. I would say he prevents as many or more if you look at the overall 100%. statistics profile there 100 and like you know in seth's rim protection stats of course a lot of those look really good when rudy gobert is on the floor opponents only make 54.8 percent of their shots around the basket that is say say that number again 54.8 percent of their shots i believe that's within three feet for the way i believe seth does that does it with rim that is Uh, he does it he does it five feet actually is it five uh, yeah, that's but, even more but impressive. I, well, it, yeah, I guess that. Well, no, that's actually less impressive. Oh, I guess it's, it's less impressive because it's further. But up. but yeah, he that that number when you consider that the league average shooting is like well over sixty percent in that that just this isn't like when he's actually there. This is just the overall rim shooting percentage. You know that includes like fast break runouts, right? Like in the half court, sure. You know it's probably more like in the low fifties, and then they're not even getting any shots at the rim either. So other than Draymond Green, who benefits from the crazy shot location of the Warriors home stadium uh the lowest number of opponent shots taken at the rim in terms of a percentage of shots taken at the rim for Gobert uh, of any of the candidates 29.3 rim attempts per 100 is the the lowest number they shoot the worst percentage and they take the the fewest and also like he could still move out on the floor as well I mean they're they're the on-court defensive rating is by far the best of any of these candidates they're just I'm the only thing that's really weird to me is that he's not like at the top and like some of the the in the impact metrics we look at which i don't really understand at all but i and particularly watching him watching the wolves defense their overall resume i i this is the easiest choice on the board to me of any of these awards i would say same for me and i mean it's the the impact i mean when you watch the wolves you you can see the way that opponents like opponents behave and i think that for rim protectors you know there there is the eye test isn't everything but it is it is somewhat important and one of the other kind of things is that the wolves opponents shoot um they shoot about two percent better on threes when gobert is on the floor i don't blame him for that so that might be part of it that we you and i have long posited that that is underappreciated by some of the impact metrics um for example i think that was evan mobley got dinged on that a lot last year so 
he's number one. And then it's it's kind of wide open after that to me. I, I, I think that there are, you know, you have a couple of different flavors of player. I mean, like, I know that you have always been higher on Bam Adebayo's defensive player of the year case than I have been just because of his versatility there. Like, the hard thing for me with Bam is that he's not actually that great of a traditional rim protector, but he's a great non-traditional defensive player. Like, he's the best big at everything else. But then, of course, you have more traditional cases for guys like Brooke Lopez. And then the other thing to square, which I don't know how long we're going to spend spend on that, are the newcomers to the table where you have Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama, who actually have very strong statistical cases. And then last year's defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson Jr., who we discussed in the 1560, where he's, you know, the Grizzlies are having all sorts of problems. And he's definitely, Jaron's definitely not as good as he was last year, but he is having a good defensive year overall. So for me, that was the universe. I had a little question mark by Jonathan Isaac, who obviously shouldn't get defensive player of the year, but just like he has been an awesome defender. I wanted to mention him. Otherwise, he's not going to get mentioned on this podcast so i want to do that but for me the universe in no particular order chet bam brooke wembenyama jaron jackson yeah bam ended up being my number two i think he's having his best rim protecting season he's played a little bit less than some of these other guys 48 games but 109.9 on court defensive rating is basically the lowest of any other serious candidate besides Gobert and Kristaps Porzingis, who also hasn't played enough. You know, I don't consider the rest of the talent around Bam to be particularly incredible other than the coach and Bam's field goal percentage a lot at the rim has gotten better. And of course, he enables you to play literally any defensive system you could ever want to. I, I mean, he is, if he's not the league's best isolation defender, he's probably in the top five or 10. And of course, he can defend in the post. His effort level is incredible. You know, I didn't find anyone else's candidacy to be like, unbelievably compelling i think there have been a lot of good defenders in the league this year but there wasn't someone who has the track record of being really really good over multiple years and also looked amazing statistically so i ended up going with bam and number three i did go with chet holmgren in the end uh just because i think ad has fallen off uh, particularly ad's contest percentage some of that's because it's- he has the versatility to get out on the floor but i do think his rim production hasn't been as impressive statistically i noted the lakers defensive draw drop off lately and chet the one ding for him is the defensive rebounding the other is he plays 30 minutes a game but he has played basically every game davis davis and gobert are the two candidates who have played by far the most minutes uh, and minutes per game which is always matters for a big but I, i think ultimately i didn't think that davis had enough of the statistical footprint and the lakers recent defensive drop off i mean the the lakers are actually again he's getting hurt some by shooting luck here but they also are five points or 100 worse when he's on the floor and his backup is a piece of paper so (laughs) and it's not like especially with jared vanderbilt out like the lakers have amazing defensive players at other positions i mean they are playing a more limited defensive starting group now but you know it's not the some of the extremes that we've seen in other years i think it's his his on-court defensive rating is 115 like that's just not competitive you know i i I uh, didn't i didn't have him in this in this kind of this level of the conversation i do enjoy and this is I, i again i think these players are all about the same level if we did tier for this to be in the same tier i picked two other players from that universe than the ones you did though i have them in my heavily in my also considered they're actually my i guess you'd say my four and my five when bam and chet 
Brooke Lopez's traditional resume is actually pretty good. Um, and so he's contesting about 11 and a half shots per 36 minutes. That is a little bit below Chet, but not that much. And opponents are converting 52.6%. That is worse than Gobert, but better than most other people. Incidentally, one of the guys who has a better contested field goal, or, you know, like superior is Joel Embiid, but he is, of course, not eligible. Um, and yeah, he would have figured I'm, for me at, at the level sure. we've been playing. And, and so, and Lopez, some of the like team wide bucks, like the bucks defense, of course, has not been at the same level that they've, that they've been at other points in time. I'm especially when you consider the coaching elements in the early part of the season, I'm, I'm giving him a little bit of a pass in part because Lopez is established, but in part because he's, when he's been in position, he's been doing the things that we've known him to do. And as has been the case for pretty much his whole career, the Bucks rebound extremely well when he's on the floor, even if he's not grabbing most of those himself. I have zero problem with you being the not being the rebounder and your team doing very well. So he's my number two. And again, like Bam and Chet are in this conversation, too. My number three is Victor Wembanyama. And there are so part of it is actually Lopez-esque, where when he's been in the role that he was supposed to play in the first place, he's been even more unbelievable. But when you look at even the overall profile, which includes a lot of time that Victor Wembanyama was playing the four, his contest rate is lower because he was playing the four for a lot of the year. But the proportion that opponents shoot like is is basically the same as Chet Holmberg. And a stat that I found persuasive, and you know, of course, this is you know, you can see then there's some recency in this, the multiple five steal games that he had. Of the players that we were considering for this, Victor Wembanyama has the highest deflection rate. And there are always things that you can factor in with that. But I, I think that there is a little bit, you know, we're we're splitting hairs here. Like I easily could have picked Bam or Chet for this next spot. There is something that I find a little bit persuasive about that of like the because we're seeing it with the steals too, of like the ways that he kind of makes life harder on opposing offenses, especially now that he's playing the five. So I don't think that he's number one. I don't think there's anything crazy like that. But like Victor Wambanyam, my number three. Yeah, and he certainly, since the move to center, has been contesting about as many shots uh, as anybody. But ultimately, and getting the Spurs to defend at a 112 when he's on, 120 when he's off. I mean, that, that's pretty massive. I'm just not comfortable saying that I think Victor Wambanyam has been a better defensive player this year than Bam Adebayo or Anthony Davis or Brooke Lopez. Also only playing 29 minutes a game. It's just, it's easier to, we talked about this with Jerry. Aaron Jackson. It's just easier to be a defensive force when you aren't playing as much. And, you know, maybe they'll, this footprint will continue. I just, I'm not picking a guy on my defensive player of the year ballot. I'm like one of the league's worst teams. Like, that's just, I, I couldn't go there. Uh, and yeah, so I, as I mentioned, I did go a chat. I think his defensive versatility is really impressive. Uh, the Thunder under a 110 defensive rating when he's on the floor, basically right up there at the top of the league in terms of contest percentage, like percentage of shots around the room that he contests, rim field goal percentage allowed, uh, pretty solid solid as well right up there at the top but i think he actually leads in sess overall room protection metric point saves per 100 possessions 5.4 uh and maybe a little bit higher than a few of these guys in terms of the number of shots that opponents attempt at the rim when he's out there the defensive rebounding isn't great i i could go a number of different directions at number three i felt pretty good about bam two and uh, gobert unassailable at one you want to change up and go coach of the year here we can do that and 
for me, my number one is pretty comfortable at this point. It is possible he doesn't win it, but I would win on my ballot. I, I don't care what other people do. Um, and that's Mark Dagnall. I think that the Thunder being as great as they've been on both ends of the floor, kind of figuring out a lot of these different elements. This is, you know, their overall talent level is wonderful. But for this team to like have solved a lot of what they have offensively and defensively with this overwhelmingly young group and everything else, like I, I think that he has done the best job in the league. And I, I don't think it's for me, it's not particularly close. No, I, I would agree with you there. Uh, I think he's uh, because uh, I think he's been very good for a while. So I, I feel comfortable with his overall resume. There's just so many things we've gone through him. Ad knows we don't have time to get through him as much of just both on a game to game and also just an overall strategic innovation standpoint, player development. Just, I mean, getting a young team to be this good, it just <laughs> it's pretty much uh, impossible. You know, John was saying he thought Chris Finch would win it. And I, Chris Finch has done a really, really nice job this year. But I, I think. Mark Dagnall had to be the guy for me again, not particularly close. Curious to know who you had as your number two, though. They've fallen off significantly because Joel Embiid has not been playing. But I think of the job that Nick Nurse did primarily as what he did when this team was close to whole. And not only did they dramatically exceed my expectations, they did it in ways that I think were reflective of coaching. And so having Joel Embiid not only have like his best defensive year, in my opinion, but also the role within the offense. And so the idea that I, you know, like I didn't think this Sixers team was was that loaded. I did think of the idea that they could be better without James Harden than some expected. And I don't hold their struggles since then against him because if, you know, team is without their best player who is under talented in the first place, like I wouldn't expect a coach to be able to elevate that kind of team too much. So for well, me, the well, job, like, shouldn't they at least be 500 though, without Joel, like they've been awful. I mean, who, who is their second best player? I mean, it's Tyrese Maxey and they, no, no, I mean, second best player been, with Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, to, Tobias Harris has sucked. I don't know that that's like, Nick yeah, it's like fault. Th- this, uh, this but. idea, this ties in with the idea that the Sixers just like overall talent level just wasn't quite as good. And, yeah. You know, Joel Embiid was Joel Embiid was the reason that a lot of this stuff worked and Nurse helped, you know, Nurse played a role in Embiid having the best season of his career. No, and I if they were still playing at the same level that they had and, and Joel were healthy, I, he'd probably be right up there for me. But unfortunately, like he just hasn't. I don't think you can argue that he has elevated this team since Joel went out. And that's a big part of the season and in a season that has had so many great coaching performances that he didn't make my ballot for that reason that you just like you can't go you know win a 30 year games when you're starting you, out and be I, just just to push back on ballot. something you think this year has had a disproportionately amount of good coaching jobs I, I think it's been fine but i i remember thinking last year like oh this is an embarrassment of riches i thought that more last year than this year uh, off the cup I'm just, I'm well not I'm, I'm i think there's a, a we'll get through some of these uh, i think uh joe missoula was my number two uh i mean the the celtics are statistically like you know one of like the 10 or 15 best teams of all time yeah, maybe the coaching has something to do with that possibly and and it's not he's had to kind of navigate porzingis and horford not being available that much the drew holiday thing on the edge of training camp and you know emotionally they've all been on the same page moving al horford to the bench he's been able to navigate that i think he was last year he, he was in a tough circumstance not really having a great staff now he has a totally solid staff uh, i just the way he gets his team to execute he's gotten a lot out of guys like peyton pritchard and luke Cornell and sam hauser on the end of the bench uh, nemius kita like they haven't kita they haven't missed 
a beat you know when those guys have had to play really uh they can play different styles they execute he has a thorough understanding of modern basketball just a lot of confidence as a coach as good as they've been i realize they're a talented team but you don't get to this level of dominance and they have been absolutely dominant without a very very good coaching job i have missoula third and i don't feel as great about it just on the idea of like talent versus coaching like i'm not completely sure how much he's elevating them and i mean we'll see this a little bit playoff coaching is not the same as regular season coaching but we will see it at that juncture as well he has done a nice job managing what is a very limited bench but broadly speaking you know he's benefited from they've had this lack of availability of like both of their centers at the same time but brown and tatum have been pretty dang durable and that that's really helped him out so yeah so then my my ballot is dagnall nurse and missoula and a part of why missoula made it is like there are there are a lot of other coaches that are doing a really good job like i i've brought up at other points in the year like i, I believe in the first time we did words at jamal mosley number one and orlando's defense is still really good and i'm i'm impressed by that but there are limitations offensively both in, in terms of personnel but also like kind of a lack of creativity and execution you, and all you that know you of- actually on mosley john and i talked about this recently i think he actually has done a good job offensively with this group other than maybe playing a little more defensively focused personnel but like they are number two in location effective field goal percentage they run like crazy they absolutely assault the rim like that's what they should be doing i think he given the talent available i think he's done pretty well uh and obviously they've defended they have good defensive talent although you know, i don't know that people would have thought paolo bencaro was part of good defensive talent before jamal goes got him or Goga Batadze or uh mo wagner or, or some of these guys like uh, all those guys really defend for it. I, I didn't have mostly but i did well just because john and i just talked about that i did want to well, mention that i think one you, there are some things note, you can point to one note on the location effective field goal percentage thing so yes the reason that they do that and i i don't i can't get into all the reasons for cleaning the glass getting into it is that they do take a ton of shots at the rim but i think even as a proportion of the like kind of the remaining shots like they take extremely few threes which is kind of necessary because they're not that good at shooting them overall but it is basically because location effective vehicle percentage is basically rim rim is amazing and everything else is a little bit more even like their their overall distribution like it's basically that's doing it's not that that's doing the heavy lifting it is doing every single second of the lifting like the magic only take 8.5 percent of their shots as corner threes that's one of the lowest rates in the entire league there are a few other kind of specific flaws like houston takes fewer but you know you know what i'm saying so like i have mostly firmly well i I think it's all the more impressive because they have no shooting that they're actually able to get to the rim that's 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 kind of the point though i don't Um, know if that's 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 probably too much of an aside i I guess so i had a number of guys in consideration for my number three uh chris finch Ty Lu, Tom Thibodeau, Mosley, and my ultimate choice, JB Bickerstaff. I didn't feel particularly compelled either way. I think all those guys have done awesome jobs so far this year. I think JB, though, the way he was able to, and maybe you could say he didn't do the greatest job early with these guys when they were 15 and 15 or thereabouts, but to then go on that crazy run with Mobley and Garland out and to reinvent their whole offensive system, but still also be the number two defense given Mobley's relative absence this year and the fact that they've been playing you know a Niang and a Sam Merrill more those type of guys Max Struess is their starting three like everybody who comes through there defends way better than their reputation and so I I think JB ultimately I I had to give him credit for that but you know Chris Finch certainly should be right up there Lou 
like it looked like this Clipper season was going off the rails. He's had to adjust to the Harden thing. I still like don't like the fit of some of these guys. Like they, we talked about it yesterday that particularly if like one of the stars is out or like they just don't actually have like all that much versatility in terms of how they want to play. And you know, he's managed to get enough out of Russell Westbrook. He managed the whole thing of moving him to the bench. So he, he certainly is right in there. Thibodeau, they've just ultimately been brutalized by injuries recently. But after the end of Nobi trade, they were just absolutely slow watering people and so yeah and i mentioned mosley as well so i may yeah this one is good all of these are going to come down to the wire dig like a clear number one for me but any of these other guys could have been in the two to three spots was, was there anyone else you wanted to talk about not really i have a few guys deep in my list but that's yeah. I, I it's that's fine eric's polstra certainly like they're just again with some of the lack of availability that the heat have had certainly deserves some credit will hardy has had some really really good moments and if his the rug hadn't been pulled out from under him he might have been in consideration and then just a quick shout out to taylor jenkins after that zero and eight start to keep these guys competing throughout the year and just a completely lost fucked up season in every respect i I just i at least wanted to acknowledge that I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies have they have the 10th ranked defense and that does not involve opponent shooting luck. I believe they're actually like, yeah, they're 25th in opponent three point shooting percentage. And they've been without Marcus Smart for a lot of the year. They've been without, you know, without the centers that we expected them to have for basically the whole year. And um, I mean, Jaron's been been good overall, but like that's really impressive. And I, I, yeah, I have I have Taylor Jenkins pretty high most. So you've pretty much mentioned all the other guys that I was I was going to do. Let's go to rookie of the year. Um, this is clearly Fuck, do we have to? <laughs> yeah, this is impossible. It's a two player race for one and two. I, I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick, but uh, um, I'm not sure that you do. OK, so I did pick Victor Wembanyama number three. Right, so I, so I did. I was no, right. no, for defensive player of the year. Ah, but OK, sorry. Excuse me. But Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren are even even with me picking Wembanyama for defensive player, the for third on defensive player of the year over Holmgren. They're I mean, it's it's impossible to argue they're basically anything other than a dead heat in terms of defensive value. Like for me, and I picked Wembenyama yeah. over. Even if part of the reason why Wembenyama's offensive stats are bad is because he has free reign to like basically just shoot as much as he wants. Chet Holmgren has not only been a superior offensive player to Victor Wembanyama, he has these some of these other spillover benefits because his credible shooting, 40% on 5.23s per 36. Wembanyama is actually taking more, but he's making 31.7%. That the margin. So if you're calling them a wash on defense or close to it, which I think is fair, and you picked Chet Holmgren over Wembanyama, we both had them in consideration. Then this is Chet Holmgren's award if you're doing it based on how they played this year, because I think Holmgren has been materially better offensive player. Now, this the, he does have a much more favorable circumstance in terms of both supporting talent and coaching, um, in part that's because coaching isn't letting him do what Victor Wambanyama's coaching is letting him do. So you and I have this is the award where we have the most difference in criteria. But I do it solely who played best this year. And for me, that's Chet Holmgren. I've always done it as a tiebreaker. I don't know if it's that big of a difference. As a tiebreaker, the rookie of the year, like the, the who I think is going to have the best career, you know, so you don't get the Malcolm Brogdon over Joel Embiid in 2017 result. But Chet is also, you know, it's not like Chet sucks. Like Chet, you know, you could easily see him being a Hall of Famer someday too. It's not not like we're talking about a Embiid versus Brogdon situation. When Benyama is this 
unbelievable prospect. The highlights that are coming out of San Antonio in the last month and a half are just absolutely, completely deranged. And certainly, like, Wembenyama's total usage, 41%. Chet, 27%. They've had totally different roles. I think you the argument has been made, well, okay, if Wembenyama were in Chet's position, then, you know, he would be doing just as well or better than Chet, and the Thunder would be doing just as well or better than Chet. I don't know that I believe that for sure. I mean, I don't either. I mean, we know that what Chet Holmgren has done for the Thunder this year. We know that Chet Holmgren is shooting 40% on threes. I don't think Victor Rumbayama could shoot 40% on threes, no matter what his shot diet was. And it's like Chet's taking about, you know, one fewer per 36 than Wembenyama. Like he's not taking these off the dribble. He's getting set up by all the other guys. I get, I get that. But, you know, I just don't think Victor is like at that level as a shooter yet. And Victor also, you know, he really, really wants to win. He's really, really competitive. But also like there have been times where he's chafed at just being a center. Like that's what the OKC Thunder would need him to do. Like Victor Wembenyama would be the third option offensively, maybe even sometimes the fourth, sadly, with Josh Giddy, uh, if he were on the thunder like could he handle that would he want to do all this ball handling stuff which i think is important for him to do he needs to develop his game but you know he also has basically the highest turnover usage in the league and that the thunder really thrive on being a low turnover team and so like just to say oh yeah he would plug in there it'd be he'd be as good or better than chet like no i don't think it's nearly that simple like chet holmgren we know what he's done to contribute to winning victor Wembyama certainly has really contributed to help the spurs defense we're also talking about what he did this year he did play power forward a bunch he just was way way less effective on both ends when he was doing that you know there was a time this year a couple months in when victor Wembyama had like 52 percent true shooting like that part of the year counts and the shot blocking numbers are totally insane you mentioned the deflections all that like i think it's pretty close to a dead heat right now i still feel more comfortable with what chet has done but i will certainly reevaluate this if we get another month of Wembenyama doing what he's been doing the last month and a half or so maybe he's going to end up taking it for me in the end but i did and ultimately go with chet and but i was i mean both these guys are fucking awesome they're great they really are and it's been so encouraging to see to see this become a race because when Wembenyama was well behind chet a while ago and has has yeah. narrowed that uh, margin. also by the way chet has played over 200 more minutes and five more games that if sure. you need another small tiebreaker at this point and after that it gets a little bit thornier in part because there are different kinds of resumes that i respect more than others and so i ended up with Derek lively third because Derek lively has done really well with what the mavericks have needed from him but it is true that like his like his traditional usage rate is 12.3 percent his partner total usage is 16.9 percent like that is that is supremely low he is brutally efficient when he does it but also lively has given them something on the defensive end i think we, we also appreciated that a little bit in absentia and like they have you know they have a superior defensive rating when he's on the floor and everything else like that so could you make an argument for somebody like Brandon Miller, who has a much larger role within the offense. Also, Miller has played better recently. So kind of like we talked about a little bit with Wambayamba, but less extreme. If you build out the sample more like the last month than the previous ones, maybe he gets in this mix. And then like, I mean, Hawkes, who I believe you had third last time. Um, like, I don't, I just, he, he's certainly in consideration here, but I, I think Lively to me has the best remaining case. Certainly EPM would agree with you in that respect. Estimated Raptor would agree with you. He's 
he's one of the i think he's the only candidate other than holmgren and Wembyama who are positive in both those metrics and uh, and to note that's mostly defensively out. not offensively can then like i mean right. he has 72 percent true shooting but it's just a minuscule usage however i did go with brandon miller i think that he number one brandon miller has played 650 more minutes than Derek lively and plays 32 minutes game lively plays 25 he's played 52 games live has played 40 uh, and brandon miller is up to 38 percent on threes i think he's been pretty solid defensively seven threes per 36 on by the way I'd, by the way i'd love to see that seven threes up higher even though his release is low too yeah uh and I, I think on a real team could he contribute as much as Derek lively plays a more valuable position i think probably that that he probably could you know he is thin uh, I, i'm not sure about that like lively also is in just the absolute best possible position to succeed particularly on the on the offensive end and just to make an impact defensively because for most of the year they haven't had anyone else who does what he does that shows up in some of those impact metrics but this goes back to the you know like Brandon Miller is just a way better prospect than Derek Lively the second like maybe I'll eat crow someday when Derek Lively the second is in the defensive player of the year conversation he does have that type of potential but I, I think Brandon Miller if he doesn't look like a future all-star he looks like a future like very very good starter more valuable position just uh, like I Derek Lively the second is uh, you know kind of a he's a rim running center which is uh, has only limited utility in the end unless you're gonna grow up to be Rudy Gobert someday so uh, yeah Brandon and Miller to me was a pretty clear number three. I, I assume he will win it, uh, or certainly would as as of today. Hakez three point shooting has fallen off. Also doesn't really shoot it from three that much. I mean, he's had a very you know he has a lot of highlights he has a lot of he's one of those guys where his good games get a lot of attention and then his bad games kind of just go under the radar he's not really asked to do that much particularly in games when jimmy butler is healthy so he's been a solid player on a good team but i I think again brandon miller is just kind of the higher ceiling guy just more of what this award is about to me at vanguard you're more than just an investor you're an owner that means your priorities are vanguards too So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We can move to best sophomore and well, let, me, let's do the let's finish up this with six man because we oh sure uh, that's like that's the last official award okay uh, although I guess sophomore is in the spirit of this but let's uh, let's bang out the ones that like we have oh. to. <laughs> and and six man of the year definitely feels like have to do and in part there are some weird anomalous things this year where there are guys who like either had good resumes but have played have started too much or have missed too much time or or various different things like that like. 
one of the weirdest ones for me is somebody who I have on my ballot is Emmanuel Quickly, who is currently starting for the Toronto Raptors, but probably will yeah. not have started enough over the course of the year. Like he uh, may no, be, I think he will. He's at forty three percent of fifty three. So if he just starts the rest of the year, he'll make it. If and, and plays the rest of the year, which we'll, we'll we'll see what the Raptors what the Raptors do there. But I, yeah, they're, I, they're, I mean, I think maybe at the like it'll be the last like week at most potentially. And so I, I just found this a largely uninspiring crop personally for the most part though i mean i'm a big fan of of my number one guy and i think that he you know one and so my number one is is bogdan bogdanovich of the hawks and a stat that i just find incredible with him and of course he plays a fair amount of events with trey having a player on the atlanta hawks where who who you know is a big part of the offense like bogdanovich 30 percent total usage like for a bench player that's relatively high having a player on the hawks where the Hawks have a better offensive rating when that guy's on the floor than when he's off the floor is very is, is interesting. And I mean, part of that's because the way they share their minutes. But Bogdanovich, like, I think he's a clearly positive offensive player. He's not my favorite defensive player, but he's also like not the worst. And he's also, you know, he's played enough games like he doesn't get, you know, like there was a point where Chris Paul like would have had a much stronger case here, but he's not, you know, he hasn't played enough for me or somebody like that. So for me, there are a lot of other guys that I'm uninspired by, but I thought that Bogdanovich, he he does kind of fit. He doesn't fit all of the traditional things, but he fits a lot of them. And I, I was pretty comfortable with him at number one. Yeah, what I some of the things I look for, I want these guys to play a lot of minutes. I want them to close games regularly as a, a sixth man again we're not looking at too amazing here like bogdanovich is other than chris paul who hasn't played enough and also i think who's just has struggled too much with his own individual efficiency that uh, bogdanovich has the highest epm plus 1.5 on the offensive end and also has basically played the most minutes of this group in terms of guys who are eligible uh, you know quickly is even 200 minutes or so below him he was my number two he started 43 percent of the game so yeah i think he probably will be ineligible at the end of the year but we don't decide who's eligible for this award uh, and but donovan just those 10 threes per 36 shooting a little bit worse 37 percent, but he is clearly a very good offensive player really helps that hawks offense and he's not very good defensively but you know what shooting guard is i don't think he's like so horrible for his position or anything like that aaron neesmith would have gotten some consideration for me but he actually just crept over uh he's now started 51 percent of the game so he's ineligible alex caruso has been starting a ton colin sexton would probably be very prominent in this but he's started 61 percent of the games now who'd you go for for number three uh because you, you had quickly two or, or was he three i had quickly three and I had Al Horford too. And okay. um, Horford, it, it his role actually gets a little bit confusing because of the amount of times that he plays when Chris Porzingis doesn't. Basically, the way, and I, I fully support this, that Joe Mazzula has run things is basically he, on back-to-backs, he alternates, you know, which one of them sits and which one of them plays. So that means Horford, like, he plays 27 minutes per game, but it isn't a hard 27 minutes per game. It's sometimes more than that, sometimes less than that. But he's... Of course, a very capable defensive player. And he, you know, his offensive game has stepped down. Like if you want total usage, he's down to he's at 18.2. But Horford is I think it's just it's just the offense was just too low for me to have. It is. But I think of his value as primarily being on the defensive end and and somebody who can close games. I mean, part of the reason he doesn't as often now when in games where Porzingis and Horford are both available is that they have a superior player who does similar things. I don't hold that as much against the 
player as somebody who like doesn't close because their game doesn't make sense rather than a superior option. So I went with I went with Horford there, and I mean in, in part also because like I, I think he's I think he's a very good player overall, and like his he does of course have flaws, but like. Yeah, I, I think he does well at what he needs to do, even if he is a diminished version of what Horford once was. Yeah, I just I don't really feel him when I watch the Celtics that much. Like he kind of he, all he's doing is just standing at the three point arc and then defending, which, you know, that's that's actually probably pretty useful. That, that seems like this, it like, seems like a pretty good player to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he is hitting 40% from downtown, 5.1 for 36. But he basically does absolutely nothing else. Like, he doesn't even do, like, any of the passing that he used to do either. You know, and 10.1% scoring usage. I mean, that is infinitesimal. So, yeah, he was would have been just outside my top three. I, I ended up with Malik Monk. Sure. Uh, 26 minutes a game, but largely d- does a bunch of closing. 8.3, three-point downs for 36. 37 percent playmaking usage way higher than i think some people realize at 15 percent. he basically plays backup point guard for these guys at this point and mm-hmm. also can close games like he's shooting more on the move he's improved his driving to the left at least somewhat this season and defensively like he's he's been competing so much more than in the past he's undersized but he actually has like contests 20 percent of opponent shots at the rim and allows 60 percent shooting which is you know that there's probably some flukish number to that but that is that is still a crazy number the contest percentage is very noteworthy and so i i think he he, i felt comfortable with him as number three and really in any order by one two three of bogdan quickly and monk i quickly is probably the best player of all those guys so maybe i should have picked him but bogdanovich had had the minutes advantage and yeah apologies to horford nas reed is someone who i think is going to get a a lot of candidacy did did you look at him closely i think that he deserves consideration nas reed um he's really been effective from three he's over 40 percent this year on 7.2 per 36 but even with that because his two-point game hasn't quite come around still 60 percent true shooting which you know as a center or even a power forward that's not ridiculous i i'm much more skeptical of his defense than both raptor and e PM are just per just watching him play. I mean, he, he's I would say he's doing better now than before. So like yeah, I, I, I mean, they does have they have an insane 103.5 defensive rating when he's on the floor. But as like you, I don't give him much credit for that. We kind of broke down his defensive stats where he's not really protecting the rim very much because he's playing more power forward this year in part but you know those numbers are not particularly impressive and you know i don't think he's like some amazing like switch maven on the perimeter or something but like his offense is very valuable he's not playing much center though like if he were i think he'd be more valuable to me if he's playing center and you know defending passively because i do think his offense is valuable and particularly the shooting has been crazy this year but you know for an offensive big like they have a 111 offensive rating when he's on the floor granted they don't have a lot of offense but that's I, th- and that archetype of like the offensive big i just don't generally think that those guys have as much value because they need those guys to defend and mm-hmm. i don't think like he's obviously not killing their defense but i don't think he deserves a ton of credit either in somewhat similar fashion to Carl Anthony Towns. the nba will never listen to me but i would like to file an informal petition to have jonathan isaac and mo wagner considered as a combination um <laughs> In part because they actually do fit together really well. Their strengths and weaknesses complement. The Orlando Magic 
have a plus 13 net rating when those two guys are on the floor together, including being 99th percentile as an offensive rebounding team and forcing a ridiculous amount of turnovers. You'd be like, why are you going to talk about two bigs when you're talking about turnover rate? Well, if, if you watch the Magic bench units, which you definitely should, Jonathan Isaac especially plays a big part. Yeah, and Mo Wagner, if you were playing more than 18 minutes a game, I think he actually would have figured. For me, he's yeah. got 23 usage, 67% true shooting, You know, in contrast to Reed, who's at 60 percent uh, like and Mo Wagner actually has a higher uh, scoring usage than Nas Reed does uh but yeah I, I think it's just the the playing time issue is ultimately what it came down to for me there uh, also I think also I think if you yeah. combine their minutes if you added Isaacs and Wagner's together you made them one player then they'd probably have played enough minutes <laughs> well and uh josh hart just the true shooting percentage is way too low 52 percent uh, if you like they've been effective when he's played but I, I think it's just you know and he's played a ton of he's actually played the most minutes of any of these candidates including uh 47 minutes tonight <laughs> when and he's been been starting some too he's been benefiting from that uh apologies to isaiah joe casein wallace has been pretty good as well but not really a, a closer to hasn't played enough minutes so it, very very small usage although he's efficient in what he's doing so all right let's get to sophomore of the year here and this is perhaps going to be something that's going to be a debate for years and years and years and years and every time i check in on it jalen williams makes it closer has he surpassed paulo bancaro uh in terms of his performance this year to me yes I'm not saying Jalen Williams will be a better pro for the remainder of his career than Paolo Bancaro. And it is worth a significant amount of consideration that Pella Bencaro's role within his team's offense is not only significantly higher than Jalen Williams, it's significantly higher than any other sophomore that we consider. Like, so Jaden Ivey, Jalen Williams, they're roughly in the 33, 34% total usage range. Pella Bencaro is at 42%. That is an incredibly large workload. And you can make an argument that Pella Bencaro should not have that large of a workload. And I, and I think that's fair. But first of all, the Magic needs someone to do it and ben caro has done it yeah, reasonably particularly well considering franz missed a month exactly and jalen well so so you have that and 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 that dings you presume you know generally speaking there is a frontier with with usage and true shooting that was though that work was done more with the traditional usage but i believe it to be true with seth as well at some point maybe somebody will do the digging but Jalen Williams, he is an incredibly, he's been really efficient overall, 63% true shooting, 45% from three. And you say, oh, well, he only takes about four threes per 36. So does Pelham Bancaro. It's just that Jalen Williams makes them at a ridiculous rate. He's been, like, I think that EPM overrates his defense quite a bit. I think that they're giving him credit for some of what is going well for OKC that he doesn't yeah. deserve. Uh, I don't know. I, he's, he's starting to make more plays. He guards the best wing threat on the other team a lot of the time. A fair portion. Is guarding, I mean, like, is guarding, you know, the best guard, then Williams is guarding the best wing. Like he and he's done a pretty good job there. Like I would say he he's, has the number two assignment a lot of the time. But I mean he, yeah. that's still hard work. Or, or the number one assignment when he's in and Dort is out, which is a, sure. a fair amount of the time as well. Yeah. And and so for me, Jalen Williams, like it's fair to argue that Bankero was put in a tougher spot because he's being asked to do more, but to me, Jalen Williams has been better than Palo this year, but they are one and two 
for sure. Yeah, this is just a question of what you value more at this point and how well you think everyone is in their role, right? If I think if you put Jalen Williams in Paolo Bancaro's role, I think Paolo would do that better than Jalen Williams. You put Paolo in Jalen Williams' role, I think Jalen Williams would probably do that better, particularly because of the way that he shoots the ball. And I think he's a better defender than Paolo, though Paolo, I think, is totally acceptable in that role. You know, EPM thinks it's not even close. EPM thinks uh, you know, Jalen Williams is plus 3.5, Paolo is plus 0.9. I could see Paolo being one of these guys that these impact metrics don't like for a long time. And Jalen Williams, 63% true shooting, Paolo, 54% true shooting, which is four points below the league average. But the Magic, as we noted, the Magic offense is not that bad. And by having Paolo to soap, soak up those possessions, like that uh, allows some of the other guys to be in the roles that they need to be in so it's just a question of like you know are, are you valuing floor raising on a an offense that's not as good or are you valuing fitting in as a a second or third option you know if you look at the usage like you talked about Paulo higher playmaking usage much higher scoring usage john williams like every okc thunder never turns it over uh, except maybe josh giddy haven't looked at his uh turnover usage per assess stats lately so i ultimately went with Paulo. i again i will certainly revisit this Jalen williams also has been coming on more lately i would say particularly i mean the three-point shooting is absolutely insane lately and like some of these like you watch that ball go through the net when he shoots it and it's like this arc is perfect like you are i'm a believer not to 46 percent, but i'm a believer in, in his shot so this one's going to come down to the wire for me but i did go paulo right now keegan murray was my number three replacing jabari smith jr i think murray just started off really poorly shooting it from three he's back up to 37 percent now he's been going well since the first month and a half or so and i think you know jabari maybe is a little better than keegan defensively i think keegan has more versatility to guard like you can put him on like ones getting over a screen conventional pick and roll defense i don't think that's something that jabari does he's in a switching scheme but he does that well but i, I think keegan is the better offensive player ultimately went with him but uh jabari certainly no slouch this season I went with Keegan Murray as well, and it remains to be seen this, you know, next time will be the last time we talk about these guys in the context of their draft class. I mean, I guess we'll do redrafts at some point. But um, so there are, you know, Jalen Duran is, is is intriguing. I want to give congratulations, as you did to Jabari, for like kind of working his way in here when he, of course, was yeah. not. in. The I, I think it's actually been underrated how good of a season he's had. And it just Same. there's been so many other storylines in Houston, Shangun and oh, is Jalen Green going to develop and they got Ben Vleed and Dylan Brooks in now it's like he's sort of like the fifth most talked about guy on that team maybe even a men gets more uh discussion than him at times but he just like comes out there does his job makes a decent number of shots and like really defends across many positions and he also was crazy young uh even in his second year oh, I did want to say one other thing uh, on the Paolo Jalen Williams thing Paolo five more games 300 more minutes uh, mm-hmm. three more minutes per game than Jalen oh. Williams if you wanted to have that be a, a slight tiebreaker for you. I- I want to mention something small. And again, neither one of these is gospel, but there are, there are two other players. I believe it's just two who we, who we haven't mentioned yet, who are positive or neutral in both EPM and Raptor total number. And I'm not saying those are you know, definitive or anything like that. One of them is Walker Hessler. And um, he, we, we've talked about him a lot in 1560s and everything else like that. Like his role within the jazz rotation this year has been a little bit surprising. Um, actually, I think um, I, his Raptor number actually might be incomplete in the one I'm working with. So I'm apologies. He might, that yeah. might be inaccurate. Um, and then the other one who has not played enough minutes to merit w- being a top three, but Mark Williams, Mark Williams is um, he's positive 1.2 EPM 
which is actually mostly on the offensive end, which is a little bit just because like he doesn't he doesn't have to do a ton, but he does what he does well. And, you know, positive in both offensive and defensive estimated Raptor. So I just wanted to mention that as like it's there are fewer rookies who are ever positive players, but I just wanted to just throw that out there. And then another guy who's done well by those metrics is Vince Williams of the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, who I, I don't think I even had it in my mind that he was a sophomore until Dan remembered to throw him uh, on this list. But yeah, he he's played while well. he's got uh, finding him is certainly a silver lining of this lost Memphis season. So let's get to uh, executive of the year. I believe I've had Brad Stevens in the number one spot every step of the way. I'm not changing that right now. The Celtics are no. the most talented team in the league. Getting Kristaps Porzingis at the low asset cost that they did, getting off of Marcus Smart at the high asset price that they did has even helped them moving forward into the future and there will be likely a financial reckoning coming for the celtics at some point but the i guess you could argue that the jalen brown situation was a part of that but like it wasn't these moves that really got there and like even though drew holiday i would i would argue i'd have to really do some digging on this like to me just as i'm thinking about it he's done worse than i expected the celtics are still the best team in the league and a big part of why they're the best team in the league is Brad Stevens. I mean, selling high on Marcus Smart was an absolute genius move. Getting Kristaps Porzingis to come there, signing him to what we deemed one of the top five best contracts in the league, seeing how good of a fit he would be, not being deterred by the Dallas experience and being able to see that what he was doing in Washington would translate. They still have a lot of powder dry for the future as well. They didn't give up that much. Like they can trade a couple of draft picks i think they can even trade i think they can trade three draft picks at the drafts is that right i don't have my sheet in front of me i think that's probably right so and you know they sold high on robert williams sold high on brogdon i think just so much of the job is having a good evaluation of your own players and i thought he did a really well i mean to turn what these seasons that were had by marcus smart and finger injury okay maybe that's not you know as predictable but smart certainly you know is an injury risk marcus smart rob williams and malcolm brogdon in Mm -hmm. christos porzingis and drew holiday and did they they were out maybe one first rounder in total as a result of that is that right yeah the 29 one and, I, yeah, and I guess I, they turned it, one of their first into into some seconds that they yeah, got I believe they're the, I uh, believe they're net deal. up one in the all all of the transactions but I'm not I might not be right on that because they got two for smart if memory serves all right yeah I should I should have had my salary cap sheet open. when we when we annoyed Brad Stevens actual executive of the year because we'll, we'll I don't think there's right. anything yeah. that can happen between now and because the the trade deadline is over this is not players or anything like that I guess if like I don't know something terrible Joe Missoula does something terrible and we reflect on the coaching decision but this is it's not his award to lose it's his award to not lose it's just it's just his congratulations yeah I mean like we talked about this is an absolutely dominating team this year and we'll see what happens in the playoffs but I even and you know what honestly even if they lose other than the coaching thing I don't know how he could have been expected to do any better <laughs> than <laughs> this right like I mean he's like if they lose it's going to be because their best player Jason Tatum just isn't as good as the other two best players probably what's going to happen then i thought it was a bit of a morass you know daryl morey was a clear number two to me last time we did this do you put anything on the fact that they've fallen off without joel certainly the keeping the powder dry for 2024 aspect 
they probably could have bolstered their depth at some point. They didn't actually make a trade to improve the team this year after they got these assets in the Harden deal, other than, you know, a couple of seconds. We'll see whether that ends up mattering. But when Joel gets back, if he had not messed things up with James Harden, they would have a better record right now. It looked great when Joel was healthy, but he certainly would have provided some insurance, Harden, uh, for this circumstance, although Maxi wouldn't have sung as much and, and all that. So, and of course, I think the, with some of the moves that have happened since then elsewhere around the league the cap space in 2024 plan is not looking as rosy perhaps as it once did but he's he's still in there for me i think that it was a good trade for harden kevin pritchard really liked the siakam deal there didn't like the heel deal as much for a team that's actually trying to win to move him for a couple of seconds i think they could still use him that so it has a, and that was the siakam deal was like you know a fair deal um you know the neesmith extension was really good for him who, who else did you have in consideration here before we round out our top threes rafael stone hired Imudoka, who i think has done a nice job even if some of their overall success is still being colored by ridiculous opponent three-point shooting you know which which you generally expect to regress the mean the jedi mind trick can definitely survive a little bit but i, I generally don't give a lot of credit there and then the guy who I actually have at number two, Leon Rose. And the Knicks, I thought they did a, a nice job at the trade line. That definitely raised his stock for me. But I mean, getting also- Ananobi, I mean, it's looked like he got hurt, but that looked like just a fucking monster move from what little of it we saw. And to do so at, I mean, so they traded Emmanuel quickly, who I who I like, but was about to be presumably close to properly paid as a restricted free agent. And R.J. Barrett, who I'm still not the biggest believer is, you know, is, is a, as a fantastic overall player, like the, the overall asset cost there. And then to get Bogdanovich and Burks, they didn't give up a pick at all in that trade. They did give a Quentin Grimes and I'm intrigued by Quentin Grimes, but like relatively speaking, get some guys that can help you. And Bogdanovich fits their specific structure with having matching salary for next year that isn't negative. And then the other big thing that I want, two big things I want to give them credit for. One of them that I was lower on at the time, the Dante DiVincenzo contract looks great now. Like that is something that that is significantly better. He is starting for them. He has outplayed Quentin Grimes. I'm not saying he will for the life of their contract. We'll have to see. And then the other one is, even if it was doing right by Obi Toppin, the that's not gonna like trading him away is not gonna haunt them or anything like that. Like I feel better about that now for them, even though they could have used yeah. him a little bit during these times when Julius Randle's been hurt and OG and Nobi's been hurt. But I mean, you're losing two starters at the same time. That's that's unfortunate, even if one of them wasn't on your team to begin the year. So I went with Stevens one, Leon Rose two, and I ended up going with Stone. But, well, on, on Rose, you convinced me. I think to put him to put him two and a couple things you didn't mention getting precious Achua. oh yeah who's been really good for them in the ananobi deal just like being able we talk we kind of joke about the caa nepotism all that thing but like they traded for og ananobi they obviously are comfortable with what it was going to take to pay him like that that requires actually like you know it's not oh hey like an asset on a spreadsheet but just feeling comfortable trading for him like convincing him that that's where he wanted to be it was massive and then also the decision to not extend emmanuel quickly mm-hmm. unless they got the price that they wanted a lot of people were mad about that a lot of people were mad that quickly got traded and as soon as they saw what ananobi was doing for this team i think a lot of those concerns were quelled so yeah i i would go with rose and they he's continued to keep the powder dry as well 
uh, for to to make potentially another big splash. So yeah, who is your number three though? Uh, I went with Rafael Stone over Gerald Morey in part because the powder dry technique for 2024 cap space is feeling a lot worse right now. And even trading for players using that cap space, I think that's going to get a little bit dicey. Philly's kind of asset base. I do agree with a lot of, you know, like I, Stone and Morey to me is really close. They both also hired successful coaches. I, I think Nick Nurse is a better coach than Imeidoka, but first of all, Nick Nurse wasn't going to Houston. Second of all, like, I, I think Imeidoka has done a nice job overall, even just the professionalization of the Rockets, even if at times I think they're a little bit overrated. So one of the challenges with this year is like some of the teams that are not only doing the best, but exceeding expectations, I think set those tables outside of the time window. So for example, there might be some people saying like, what about Sam Presti? And it's like, I think Presti's done a good job, but most of the best things he did with the drafts, like he didn't even draft Chet Holmgren, who we picked for rookie of the year. He didn't even draft him this year. So Chet Holmgren doesn't count at all. Yeah. Um, and then Tim Connolly. Well, he he in, was high in our in our rankings last year, though, Sam Presti, I'm pretty sure. So. Absolutely. And and he would be even I, I we're not going to do an executive of the year regrade. But like, I think he'd probably do better because, I mean, I didn't think Chet Holmgren was going to be this good. And then someday we should do that, actually. Tim Connolly. I mean, best executive league years would actually be a really fun podcast at some point. But I pity who, whoever does the research on that. And I hope it's not me. Um, it, it like, I mean, you could say Tim Connolly, like, hey, the Minnesota Timberwolves, one of the best teams in the league this year, do all that. But most of that work was also done in previous years, like what, what Minnesota did in the 2023 offseason and the 2024 trade deadline wasn't like what set the table for the success. It was what they had done in previous years. Let's talk about a few more Kobe Altman sure. getting just uh, some shooting in that like the Cavs are actually a very deep team now. Craig Porter Jr. was a, a nice acquisition for them. I think uh see did I have anyone else on the list here? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, well, I guess we'll talk about this guy in not executive of the year. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, all the stuff around Portland and the Lillard trade, I think there's just neither of those look like they're working out like so amazing for Milwaukee or for Portland, but there's just so much still to be written there that I don't feel, I don't think that's either bottom three or top three material, but someone who is bottom three material for not executive of the year. My number one is Arturis Karnaschewicz of the Chicago Bulls. Same for me. And it is significant to have somebody in this award who didn't make many like there there weren't there was one terrible signing and well of course it technically was structured as an extension but they have that and like didn't make bad draft picks or anything like that it's just the decision to keep this team together both before the trade deadline and at the trade deadline is terrible. They could have gotten assets for Caruso. They could have gotten assets for DeMar DeRozan, who is now on an expiring contract. He could resign, but there's no guarantee. All on Nick Vucevic that that contract is actually going to be positive value. 
And I'm, you know, I feel better about the Kobe White deal than I did before, obviously. Well, but, I, I mean, do you, uh, that's a fantastic deal. He's a starting yeah. point guard making 11 million. Sure. But that extension had already been signed, correct? Uh, no, no, that was a restricted free agent. It was a restricted free agent. Okay. So uh, that, that is, a, that is so, a feather so that's, in his cap. That's on his ledger, as is uh, Iodesumu. Uh, his contract is a restricted mm-hmm. free agent making seven, and, three years, and, uh, 21 million. Very and good. I guess, I guess preliminarily you could say not extending Patrick Williams, um, but we'll see what number he gets eventually i'm still a little bit scared about that so yeah i mean for me this is not the strongest weakest year you know like the not executive of the year like there. well, well they're, some of the some of the strongest weakest candidates uh got themselves off this list i would say they did i mean masai ujiri in particular he made his decisions he got a reasonable yeah. asset price he's not even he's not even on this at, at all for me um but well for for our tourists i mean yeah just We'll see what happens with DeRozan, but DeRozan, he's he's really declined this year. Caruso, you know, another guy, he's just turned thirty. Like that's he's an, an injury risk. You just like like how much better would you feeling be feeling about the Chicago Bulls if they just traded DeRozan? I don't know if they even had DeRozan for a first. They definitely could have got a first for DeRozan last off season. They could, probably could have got two firsts for Caruso at this point, or you know, like Zach a first, Levine, or a also first and not, a young player of interest for yeah, Caruso. Not trading Zach Levine last off season when they Oops. could have probably got some positive value for him and i think zach probably wanted to be gone at that point and of course the asinine vucevic uh, vucevic resigning just pretty much javon carter a signing i actually liked on a two plus one at 18 million that didn't work out at all he's really struggled he hasn't been even with all their injuries he's like barely been in their rotation he was so uh as much as we want to give him credit for the uh honorable Batim two-way signing uh, i think uh yeah he's got to be up because he's just just not pulling the trigger there particularly in like such a, a seller's market and particularly on Car- i mean caruso is the one that's just i can't i can't believe they didn't do that uh cup Jack is off the list both because brandon miller is uh, you would have to say if you're looking right now i don't know if i'm for sure would call him the right pick but certainly a highly defensible one and the data we've seen so far at the nba level he's played the best out of any of those guys and then also like actually sold off like got a first for pj washington and for terry rozier like and that pj washington one has a pretty good upside like that's it's actually very good uh and if he hadn't struggled to build out this bench so that they're just completely non-competitive this year i might have yeah, actually it, it, had him higher like if they had, in signed, consideration a free, if they had signed a free agent in the first week of free agency they they he might have even been in consideration for top three but but no um not on that part but yeah i agree he is has worked his way out of that conversation um someone that i want to mention and this is always murky with the spurs for who would we even name for this if they were going to have a not executive of the year i believe technically brian wright would be the one that you would put in even though greg popovich yeah. has has the power there the spurs terrible offseason warrants some consideration yes congratulations. I, I couldn't go there because they got a 2030 pick swap with the mavs <laughs> for taking on 10 million dollars or reggie block that was right i i don't i don't have i don't have right slash popovich bottom three but i think yeah. there should be consideration i mean congratulations you got the number one pick you got victor Wembanyama, but you also despite having so much flexibility just built a team that made no sense around him and didn't do so for like 
a great asset return or something like that. Like just not having enough shooting and not having enough like and giving Zach Collins that extension before you knew that Victor Wembanyama was going to be like what position was his ideal role. We talked about that as being a key part of this year was like, what is his position? And like Zach Collins now is like making he's not making starter money. He's making significant money for multiple years for when he was already under contract. Like it wasn't a circumstance where you have to sign him or something like that. So the Spurs did a bad job. I don't have I don't have them him. However, top three. Another honorable dishonorable mention. I liked a lot of what John Horst did, even though Damian Lillard hasn't worked out as well as I'd hoped so far. And I, I'm willing to do that. But when you have a team this talented and you hire a coach who gets fired inside the first season, you have to at least get consideration for our fake award. Yeah, I, I think I'm encouraged by how they've looked under Doc. We'll see how that, of course, turns out. Uh, but he also managed, I mean, part part of the whole thing with Adrian Griffin was he appeased Giannis Antetokounmpo, who then signed another extension. So in the end, if that's what it took well, to we, get we can't give, we can't, we can't line, give a pass for both like, oh, the Damian Lillard trade hasn't worked out as much and Adrian Griffin didn't work out. But, but I mean, it is, it is maybe it's turning keys on a submarine. Maybe it was one of those moves one or the other. Oh, I guess Giannis signed his extension before Lillard, right? Or did? Uh, no, it was it was after. It was after. It was after. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was why it was so amusing because he was like, "Oh, it makes no business sense to sign this thing," and then Lillard comes over, he's like, "Oh yeah, but sign." <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, not executive of the year. Sean Marks is another one who is in consideration for me pretty seriously here. Another guy who just farting around, not trading guys who should have been traded that you could have got value for. I don't know for sure if Mikhail Bridges is who I would have wanted to trade. I think this is there's probably some moral hazard involved there as well. That if, uh, to me, it would be best for the franchise eventually winning an NBA championship if they had just got their draft picks back from Houston and moved Mikhail Bridges and seize control of their own destiny. Again, particularly considering all the other draft picks that they also have going for, like they could have really gone into like a full OKC style rebuild with much better uh, control going forward than you know they had the first time around when Marks came in. But those are the picks that he traded away. I think it would have just been like a little too weird and deck chairsy. Well, and, to... and could he? I, I know we criticize GMs for not convincing voters of things. That might have been a sales pitch that they couldn't make. Yeah, well, I think he was just worried he's gonna they'd be in the wilderness again. He get totally fired like they have this 2025 plan that i'm not particularly convinced of i'm not particularly convinced that they're going to be able to like trade for the next star and quite frankly if they do is that donovan mitchell then okay congratulations you're still the sixth seed in the east so i, I think this is they've really been clinging on to some low ceiling moves recently troy weaver uh you know i, I it's not his fault he monty williams wasn't his candidate so i think you know brian wright might have also thought that trey jones was going to be the starting point guard and they didn't need to bring in another point guard <laughs> you know like that's <laughs> yeah that's not possible. sure how that all well, went and, down and, and i mean with weaver it's a continuation of the like waiting too long on bogdanovich and alec burks they ended up getting quentin grimes for both of them combined as opposed to what probably could have been better offers they yeah. we'll see quentin quentin grimes might end up being pretty damn good it's, well and we'll see he, he might be and but also we you know using so much of their cap space to take on players who not only did nothing for them but like they didn't get assets in the deal you know they took on and monte morris's injury is unfortunate but like they took on joe harris for a very low asset cost even though they're doing the nets a gargantuan favor 
Um, and so, you know, those sorts of things. So I ended up having him three. Um, I want to give a quick shout out. I think that he's done a good job overall, but this is a true rarity that someone traded for the contract that we just called the worst contract in the NBA. And once we, especially, and that's Jordan Poole, found out that it was a worse first, you know, like that, uh, that than we yeah, expected. Top 20 protected in 2030. Which is soft. But the other stuff soft. for Winger is good enough that he's not in, he's not for me in consideration here. Instead, my number two is Zach Kleiman. And I've been banging this drum for a while now. And I've been, I've been the supporter of Kleiman's. I think he's done a very good job in Memphis overall. But it got worse at the deadline for me. So they gave up real assets to get Marcus Smart in a year where they knew John Morant was going to miss extended time, even if they didn't know the second time after he came back that he was going to get hurt again. But they traded for Marcus Smart. They gave up real assets for him. And they gave up Tyus Jones. And they significantly weakened their own team and gave up assets. Or, and they, you know, they gave these other things in a year where it was probably going to be at least a version of a lost year anyway with John missing so much time. And he compounded that with the bizarre deadline move of trading Steven Adams. So I'm not sure what they do next year. Like this, the center position is still like a question for them because it's just like, how are they going to replace this? And so for me, when you weaken your future assets for a very, for a, for a, Poor play for a poor player relative to the assets you gave up in a year that became a lost year, partially knowable. And then you also weaken yourself for next year. I'm not on board. Yeah, I'm not sure if they weaken themselves for next year. We'll see what Steven Adams becomes. And I'm, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the smart trade obviously didn't work out very well. Did get Desmond Bain at slightly less than the max. That deserves some credit. Yeah, there isn't like an obvious number three here for me. Like it was Cupjack that I thought he did some pretty good work. Uh, we'll talk about their hiring of, of Jeff Pierce in a little bit. Uh, you know, Landry Fields is another one where the Hawks don't make any kind of a move. I think I mean, that's I, defensible. I, I, think, I think them getting off of John Collins is looking pretty good right now, personally. Uh, yeah, you know, you make a good point there. Yeah, all they had to do was take take back six million to Rudy Gay and then two more years free and clear on on collins making 25 million a year was pretty good but yeah i think you know not moving Dejounte murray what's what will happen there i think he probably made the right calculation in the sense that there'll be more available for him just because teams have more to trade and now of course the fact that he's gonna get to be their main point guard i think will only boost his value with trey young out see i probably i would go Karnishvis one marks two climbing through. Is there anyone else you wanted to mention? Yes. And another another general manager that I've broadly supported at, at many moments in time, and that's Jeff Weltman. I mean, we forget about this now because they've had a good season. The Orlando Magic had two lottery picks this year. One of them, Jet Howard, has basically been a complete non-factor, and the other, Anthony Black, has played. But how great has he been in those minutes? Was he the right pick over the players who were drafted around him? Like, that isn't an opportunity that many people get, and to draft two guys that one one of whom I, I was never high on in the first place the other of which we didn't even scout that's not fantastic next three picks after jet howard Derek lively the second grady dick jordan hawkins kobe buffkin keontae george would look fantastic in a magic uniform and those are all guys who are kind of being talked about in that range and then yeah anthony black well, I just yeah you know who like, wasn't talked about in that range jet howard yeah and i would probably rather have blakula bali or taylor hendricks or maybe even jaris walker than anthony black at this point too black just you know he's i, I think anthony black's gonna be a, a solid player in this league but also just not someone who could be that valuable due to his lack of shooting and of course you know fits into so many of the other weak 
weaknesses of their roster. If you think of him playing next to Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, it's not a pretty picture there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, and they didn't, uh, you know, they re-signed Mo Wagner. That was pretty good. Ingles has been, you know, probably a, a average-ish signing. He's he probably about done, but they didn't really have much else to do there. They kept their flexibility. We'll see what they do next offseason. Yeah, that, that was a good pull. All right, we got our categories here. So we can finish up with biggest surprise player. My number one is still Rudy Gobert. I just thought he was done. I He's having, if not his best season, certainly right up there with it. And I was just like, man, this guy's going to be a massive albatross. And instead, a team that's been the best in the West nearly all season. And he's been arguably the biggest reason why. So I, I it just... That really, maybe I should, the decline, it's always tough for guys like at the, in that age range, early 30s, but he's a guy who's pretty reliant on athleticism. And I just, I guess he was going through some stuff physically last year that I didn't appreciate and the adjustment and all that. But uh, I, like I said, I didn't appreciate it. That's how it's a surprise. I, there are things that happened that I didn't think would happen. So that's the definition of a surprise. I had Shea Gilgis Alexander fourth in our point guard rankings last year. I have him second in MVP right now. I have to pick yeah, him. He's on my list too. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton would be up there too. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, he'd probably be even higher. Uh, Chet Holmgren has been a massive yeah. surprise, I would say. Uh, you know, um, he probably, he might even be number two to me. It, it's a different flavor, but Kawhi Leonard, I mean, he's played so much yeah, more than I expected yeah, this year. The way he's and played is great. He's been great. Um, I'll do, I'll do, I'm not going to do my full list. I have 20 guys, but, um, Scotty Barnes had a much better year than I in, anticipated, Goga Batadze, just because <laughs> like he has a spot in the league. Kudos on that. And Kobe White. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's good. I had him. Um, you know, Sam Merrill coming out of nowhere. Alperin Shingun. Like Alperin mm-hmm. Shingun, if he was in the East, he probably would have made my all stars. Like him moving into to that sort of consideration is like it kind of seems like it could have happened, but certainly like the the Rockets tried to replace him with Brooke Lopez this offseason. I almost did. Um Dante DiVincenzo, like this three-point shooting yep. has just been absolutely insane. Uh Jalen Suggs, his three-point shooting being like a positive is so massive for this Magic team. Derek Lively, the second, being a quality starter for Dallas is huge. Cason Wallace, the guy that uh, technically Lively was traded for, being a quality rotation player on like a almost 60-win team. Uh, Jaime Jaquez, Brandon Pajemski, a lot of rookies actually that just have kind of come out of nowhere. Aaron Neesmith just emerging into a quality small forward. Anybody else? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't need to go. Th- there I mean, are many, jo- I suppose. John Isaac, um, you know, just being able to be healthy enough to be a positive player. De'Aaron Fox, I think that he, he's been better, you know, and, and him. Yeah, he's fallen off enough that I, I kind of removed him. Eric, um, did you, you mentioned me, Smith, right? I did. Okay. So. Most disappointing player, number one, it's still got to be Draymond Green for me. It's so, I mean, Draymond Green, certainly, especially because his stuff came as an, as like on, on court, but not really basketball related. Like that's, it's completely fair, but he is having a nice year overall. But for me, it's one of his teammates and that teammate is Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins for the year 34 percent true shooting on 20 usage 34 percent you mean 54 percent 54 percent it feels like 34 <laughs> percent um and i mean he i think he's moved out of like there was a stretch where like because estimated wins on epm like that factors in how much you play where he was actually like i think he was one of the five worst players in the league and those are almost always like bad rookies that could that actually play he's moved up in that but like wiggins spent a lot of the year being straight up terrible and it is the those two players together and i have both of them you know firmly in this spot on my list are the reason are the biggest reasons along with clay having a terrible first half of the year for why the warriors are so much worse than we anticipate 
anticipated. Yeah, Wiggins did struggle for a lot of the year, and he was on my list last time. He actually, if you compare his stats to what they were his last three full seasons in Golden State, they're actually like not that different anymore. I, I think he's he's actually improved his efficiency and gotten better now of course he has this personal absence again so it's that's giving people some flashbacks i'm sure and his defense has gotten to be more respectable again i i took him off that list because i think you just he's not this the overall stats are just not that different from what they've been um scoot henderson sadly was my number two i mean now i try to avoid basing this on injuries i mean there have been a lot of yeah I, I, d- I didn't consider him at all well it just when he's been on the floor it just he hasn't looked like the guy i thought this guy was going to look like a future all-star and even when he's been on the floor maybe in part due to the discontinuity with the injuries and stuff he hasn't but also you know he's pretty injury plagued this couple of years in in the g league and so when it is kind of foreseeable maybe you but i chose not to foresee it uh perhaps you you had to look at that bradley beal maybe for some of the same reasons uh jordan pool is was my number three though uh, oh I yeah think. oh yeah i'm actually gonna make him my number one that that i should do that i just uh, like he's yep. been beyond anything that i could have imagined from yeah uh, yeah he's my number one i should i should been. i shouldn't have gotten that um yeah i but wanted to- draymond to me is my number one because and Ja would be up there too with the 25 game suspension except you know we already knew that was coming so he did, weren't gonna be disappointed about it um you know i think he was up there for me last year but draymond because that's like that's a result of just like making bad decisions, not like where you're just not playing well. That's I yeah. find that because there's just a more of a level of intentionality to it. That's what disappoints me. That's obviously mm-hmm. I the beholder. Um, oh, I, I want to throw out kind of two yeah. cate- two other categories of players. One are I had I had low expectations, but damn, you like really underperformed those. That group includes Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine, DeAndre Ayton, and his like ten free throw attempts on the year. We're like, I mean, and Aiton is kind of a little bit of a different varietal because I thought he, you know, it's like it, he's in some ways more in the Jordan Poole where it's like, I thought you had a, I thought you had an opportunity and that opportunity has gone by. And then the other one are like players who I believed in, who I believe in less now, Austin Reeves, Mikhail Bridges, yeah, Jalen Bridges Green. is on my list too. I, I thought he was going to at least like take a little bit of a step forward. He's disappointed on defense too. Yeah. Um, a few more I want to throw out there. You know, Zach Levine, I'll certainly echo you on that one. You know, Kate Cunningham was on this list for me at the beginning. He's actually started to play a lot better recently. And uh, there's some intriguing things happening there. You know, I'm not sure I'm seeing like for sure future all-star, but I, these season long stats, if I looked at the, I was told them before the season, I would be maybe like very mildly disappointed. Um, And certainly when you consider that he's been much better after that first month uh john collins sure just uh hasn't been what utah wanted him to be uh you know robert williams another one of these foreseeable injury situations i would say zion williamson is on that list i first i foresaw that it would be because he would miss time but he's been largely healthy and just hasn't been the same player which is in some ways uh more disappointing even than not being healthy pj tucker just not apparently a rotation player anymore evan mobley hasn't developed much with the three grant williams given what the mavs gave up to get him with the pick swap couple of seconds they're mid-level to have to move on from him as quickly as they did give up another first to do so obviously they brought in pj washington reggie block is apparently just completely done uh thought he might actually help houston 
Davion Mitchell is uh, looking like he's going to be a fringe player. Uh, where I don't, that's kind of been proven. Malachi Branham has been like out of the rotation and justifiably so. <laughs> AJ Griffin is on the side of a milk carton. Johnny Davis, uh, Hollinger said he's been below replacement level even in the G League on a team that <sighs> has been willing to try anybody. You can't even get on the floor for them. Um, Josh Giddy has a lower true shooting percentage than last year, even though he's yep. shooting slightly better from three. He's below yep. 50% on twos. He was on my list. I mean, Damian Lillard, just his overall oh, L- Lillard's, Lillard's been, my number three. Yeah, I would have hoped that, like, I mean, you, yeah, he had a great year last year with Portland, but you, his job would, in theory, have been easier. Uh, he's still been good. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. Like he, The first month and a half of the year, he was what he was supposed to be. He's just been struggling lately. He hasn't quite looked right physically to me. Um, Ben Matherin, uh, I just, I was trying to decide on uh, whether I should include him. And then we went through like four more categories before I actually made the decision. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's, that's, oh, every son's power forward who started the team started the, the season on the team. Yes. Okay. Biggest surprise team. The Oklahoma City Thunder are second in net rating, third in offense, and fourth in defense. For me, it's them. And there are other teams that surprise me, but I don't know that there's a close second. Yeah, in Minnesota, they certainly, I picked their under. I thought Gobert was cooked. I talked about that in Biggest Surprise Player, and they've been as good or better than than OKC a lot of the season. But Minnesota, I like this is, the team that they are right now is sort of like something that I at least could have foreseen when they put this team together last summer in 2022. And then just the, they had a, a miserable year. But like, this is something that like, okay, you could construct a scenario that this would happen. OKC, no, I just didn't see it coming at all uh and then number three was a tough one for me i guess i went with orlando in the end like i think i had their under like a over under in the mid 30s so they're they're gonna make the playoffs or or at least be in playoff position going into the play-in any other surprise teams you really wanted to hit on my number two which i put a qualifier on which i know you'll hate but um the sixers before joel Embiid's injury just they were so much better and i thought that was important than i than i expected and then i ended up going magic over wolves just because they've been like the defense it's primarily like the timberwolves i saw this possibility the magic i did not you'd have to throw indiana in there as well i i would sure. say and may, maybe even you know the knicks have had injuries at some of these teams oh, I, I, like, I have the knicks yeah. on my list as well most disappointing team wanted to talk through it with you there are many different flavors of it you have san antonio detroit and charlotte all teams that we expected to at least be somewhat competitive who just have been atrocious um i would say san antonio probably like charlotte's had a bunch of injury issues and their depth issues caught up as well san antonio to me just because i felt like they had more talent it either hasn't developed or has been deployed so haphazardly it's it probably got to be up there um so maybe i'll i'll pick one from each of these divisions probably go uh san antonio from that division then you've got the expected to complete for the compete for the east plan and they're going to but with 10 less wins than they should have (laughs) division with atlanta brooklyn toronto toronto being like winning a third of their games like what the fuck is that uh and then you have the west contenders that aren't contenders division with golden state the lakers uh, and memphis I mean, in Memphis, it's almost been baked in how bad they're, they are all season and then Ja getting hurt. I mean, that's, I don't put that on them as much. 
So probably go and Golden Sage has just had such a weird year where they just have managed, it seems like, to shoot themselves in the foot all the time, particularly at the end of some of these games that they've just blown in hilariously pathetic fashion. So I'll probably go give me San Antonio from the bad teams group, Brooklyn, I think from the shitty East team, East play-in teams, and Golden State from the West Contenders group. Uh, San Antonio could be my number one because it just, so much of it was just like terrible decision-making. I went Spurs one, Lakers two, Nets three, kind of the same divisions as you did it. But for the Lakers, I mean, they're 32 and 28 with basically an even net rating. They've played 60 games. AD has played 56 of them. LeBron has played 52. I could have seen the Lakers. I could have seen the Lakers as being a 500 team. Like I picked their under, and I picked so pretty aggressively. This is not how I expected it to happen. All right, then I think we are done. That was fun. Had a lot to catch up on over the last two months, uh, and we'll be back with the 15 and 60 Eastern Conference style on Sunday. We'll talk to you all then. We hope you enjoyed that free episode of Dunked On Prime. If you want every episode of Dunked On Prime, you can subscribe at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's Dunked On supportingcast.fm at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply